Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hi, this is Doug Smith, and you're listening to Anime World Order. Check out my website, www.dougsmith.com. How's it going, everyone? This is Anime World Order, show number 33. Normally, this would be the time when we'd answer your emails and talk about what we're doing for the rest of the show. However, like the last few shows, we're mixing it up a bit, and we're going to be spending the entire show answering your emails. However, we thought that there was some interesting news, so we decided to add the news first this week. If you want to skip to the emails, just fast-forward about 24 minutes, and that'll take you there directly. We promised that we'll be back to the regular show next week with regular reviews and such. Until then, let's news! Working to restore power. Okay, and after a really long hiatus, we've got the news again. And we're going to start off with the news that is probably the oldest, that by the time this episode is released, this news will probably be about three weeks old or, or so. And, and uh, we'll be sick and tired of hearing about it. Yeah, so we're going to say it anyway. Yeah, because we don't care. Of real interest, very recently, Bandai said that if anybody out there subs Ghost in the Shell Solid State Society, the new Ghost in the Shell movie, they have got lawyers ready to go. This is actually not the first time that Bandai has said something like this. I was actually in the room at Otakon when Bandai officially licensed Gundam Seed, they didn't actually say, we've got lawyers ready to go, but they said, look, this current group that is subbing the show, if you do not stop, there will be a legal precedent here. And you know what happened there? A lot of other groups just took up the slack after they stopped. Well, yeah, that's the official story, is that other groups took up the slack after they stopped. But if you ask me, the same group just kept going, they just changed their name. Because if you look at it, the typesetting is identical... The way they altered the credits is identical. The way they spelled people's names, the fonts they used, all that stuff stayed exactly the same. The only thing that changed was the name, and the translated by so-and-so changed to a different arbitrary nickname. There's no way to prove that it's the same people or not. And but didn't you prove it over at Otakon? You talked with the guy that was subbing Gundam Seed, didn't you? The guy, and then that guy was a liar? Is what he is. What reason does he have to lie to you? Because he's a fan subber. <laughs> okay. And he has a recorder in his face. That's his reason. Doesn't seem like a reason to lie, but whatever. But uh, what, what do you guys think about this? I mean, do you think that they will actually go out there and sue someone, or do you think that this is another empty threat? The way I see it, there's going to probably be some newspaper articles on this in the future, like actual Japanese newspapers or what have you, and they're probably all going to come to the same conclusion. And that conclusion is this. If the MPAA and the RIAA can't do what Bandai is threatening to do, I fail to see how Bandai is going to do it. Because mm. how successful have those guys been in stopping people from pirating their films? They haven't mm. been. Even if they find some guy, even if they do take him to court, even if they do get him sentenced and put into jail, it's not going to stop anyone. 
And ultimately, where are all these BitTorrent trackers hosted? They're all hosted outside of the U.S., where regular laws like Bandai Entertainment's a U.S. company, their lawyers aren't really going to care. But international copyright law is, is a different... It would have to be located in, like, Taiwan or something. How are they going to pin this to anybody, though? People always say, oh, you can see people's IPs in BitTorrent. So what? Tracing well, someone's IP yeah, to a specific I mean, person... That's not really the issue here. The, the issue is more along the lines of, well... I guess I agree How with you in that it's... How can find out who to sue? Really, all this does, all statements like this do, is embolden pirates. Is to say, oh yeah? Well, we'll be yeah. there to subtitle it the nanosecond it comes out, and we're going to put it out, and we're going to have a big fuck you Bandai caption in the front of it, and there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. Yeah. Do you think that there's didn't... anything that these companies can do that could, uh, you know, decrease the amount of piracy? I or think do you there think is. That... I think what they could do is what the Japanese refuse to do, and that's actually release this stuff... Reasonably priced? Reasonably priced online, pretty much as it comes out in yeah. Japan, in a, a subtitled format. Basically, yeah. take the fan subbers who are out there and maybe have them go pro, and then put them up on iTunes or something like that, charge $2 an episode, and mm. have it be reasonable, because that's the only way they're going to at least put a dent in all this downloading that's going on. We've seen it happen with music. When Napster was out and people were just pirating music, they found yeah. that, hey, maybe not everyone is willing to pay the 99 cents for a song download, but enough people are willing to do it that right. you'll at least make a good bit of money off of it mm -hmm. in the meantime. You'll never stop piracy or theft. No, I, I, I certainly wouldn't so, suggest that. But, I mean, right. I mean, they obviously want to protect mm -hmm. the work that they put millions of dollars up. To produce. Yeah. I think that's an interesting solution is maybe to try and get digital versions available faster. Right. Than and then on the DVDs, DVD the incentive out. would be well, the DVD would have the English dub, the DVD would have removable subtitles, the DVD. Yeah, better quality. Commentary track or. Yeah, like stuff that. like that. And that would I be do the think incentive that they, to buy it for yeah. the people who don't insist on seeing it the second it comes out. Right. I think better pricing on the DVDs in general. Because I know with the music thing is one of the issues was not even necessarily just that people had to get in an MP3 format. It was that people thought that CDs cost too much money and that the CDs that they were getting weren't worth the 20 whatever dollars. Well, wasn't it also a big issue with the CD companies, well, with the music companies and that this price of CDs hasn't actually gone down since CDs were invented? It's a combination of the price, the price wasn't dropping, and also that the technology hasn't changed. Audio quality on CDs hasn't really gotten any better since mm. they were invented. Well, that's Even because we're still using the same format. They have new technology. They released some of those digitally enhanced CDs with the much higher bit rates and such, but those are not as common. People don't really realize that CDs are over 20 years old. CDs were invented in around 1982. Yeah. So, so they're kind of, course, of an antiquated format at this point. Most people don't care about audio quality, as evidenced by the fact that so many people buy their music in MP3 format to begin with. Right. But I personally am one of those people. I know people who are saying, oh, the 128 killed right. at 44 kilohertz. That's, I can't even hear that. It sounds horrible yeah. to me. To me, I can barely tell the difference. Unless you're operating at like a really crappy bit rate. Most people can't really tell the difference. It's what allows us to much. release yeah. this podcast in mm. the lame encoding <laughs> settings that it's got. Yeah, but I, I think it just comes down to that nobody actually sits down 
with the layman and shows them, okay, this is really high quality. This right. is the quality that you're listening to. No yeah, one ever does that. If you don't listen to it side by side, side, by side it can be right. very yeah. hard to tell. But as yeah. it pertains to anime and stuff like that, right. the Japanese, what they want to do is eliminate this. And as we've discovered from the mm -hmm. follies of the MPAA and the RIAA, it's not going to go away. The Threatening best they them can right. do, is not going to do it. Right. The best yeah. they can do is try and make this work to their advantage somehow. The fact mm -hmm. that there's all these people downloading yeah. fan subs of stuff. Right. I think the same thing is an issue with the Scanlation deal. I wish that Japanese manga companies, and also it'd be really awesome if doujin artists in circles would start offering really cheap, purchasable digital versions of the stuff, especially if they can get people that'll English translate it. And I think a lot of people would then buy it, because then they don't have to pay twice what I paid for the books and shipping to have it mailed over here. To play devil's advocate here, I'm, I'm going to throw this one out because it's a valid counter-argument to the solution I've suggested. I think I know what you're mm -hmm. going to say, but go on. Yeah, it's the <laughs> obvious thing. Nowadays, fan-sub quality is high enough that the jump between it and DVD, just like how we were saying the jump between the MP3 and the high quality audio is that people can't really tell unless they see it side by side. Do you think mm -hmm. there'd be a lot of people who would just settle for the digital copy that they got for a dollar or two dollars or whatever it is that they hypothetically charge and then not buy the DVD? I guess the problem with that is that we can't prove it. Yeah. I think that yeah. because we just oh, have no numbers. That's a big part of the entire argument about piracy is that there's no hard numbers. Yeah, there's you no guarantee that a download whatever. equals a lost sale. You can argue whatever, but in the end, you can't prove any of it. Yes, there would probably be people who will say, I'll just buy this episode for a buck or two bucks and not buy the DVD, but at least they got a buck or two bucks, can which you is make more than they would have gotten from the fan sub. It's more than they would have gotten from the fan sub, which would have been nothing. If enough people, I don't know, I mean, if enough people do it, maybe. Right. It's just well, there, the there idea is a of service. what if people switch from DVDs to this, but I doubt it. I think There it, is a right. service now that, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, where the major movie studios are selling DVDs online for relatively cheap, where you download the entire, I think it's the entire ISO file from them. And you burn the DVD, and you can even download a high-quality yeah. cover, and you get all the extras on it. Yeah. And they're, se but they're selling it for a little bit much, I think. They're selling it for like 10 bucks, which I think is far too much for a download. I wonder if that's something that the uh, anime companies are looking at. I know people have been wanting the movie industry to do that for some time, since they've been behind that. Yeah, I do think that's too much, but they could offer just the entire DVD for... They could offer DVD quality and then the lower quality at, at a different price scale. Pay a little more and get the full DVD quality with like the extras or whatever. One of the things I think when we're talking about can they make enough money off of it is if a large enough number of people move over to buying digital copies that's less physical discs they have to print. Well, I think you that know, the printing process is now so it's cheap. very cheap. So it probably might not make that much of a difference. But Which is one of the reasons why people were kind of upset with CD manufacturers, because the cost of printing a CD is like 10 right. cents. And, and, That's and why and there's no excuse. It's supposedly going to be cheaper than vinyl when it came yeah. out. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately, it's like I said, they got to do something. I'm 
sick and tired of people saying, oh, you just don't understand how the economics of it work whenever we yeah. propose these things. Yeah. Because they have to do something, otherwise they're just going to miss out on all this stuff and be left in... I guess that there is some truth to the fact that, you know, this is a niche market and you have to sell to a niche market, but, well, right. we encourage you to send in your thoughts on this and with that we'll go on to some other news. This other news is sort of related and it's called The State of Japan's Animation Industry. And I'm pulling this thing directly off of Anime News Service, and I, I hate to read these things, but it's actually really interesting. And it says, Nikkei BP has a new two-article page on the current state of Japan's animation industry. Studio Ghibli's Ghetto Senki, directed by Goro Miyazaki, opened during the summer vacation in Japan. The film's performance has exhibited traits of an apparent stagnation in the box office there, despite drawing in 5.3 billion yen, 4.2 million theatergoers went to see it. It's been estimated Ghetto Senki is doing about 60% of the performance of 2001's Sen no Chihiro or Spirited Away thus far. Ghibli is looking for a $10 billion gross when all is said and done. With Ghetto as an example, Nihon Keizai Shinbun asked if there might be a weakening of the animation industry in Japan. Could the reason be due to a new generation of creators coming in that cannot invent works capable of collecting the public's attention of the world? It's mm. mentioned a South Korean company produced some of the animation in the case of Ghetto Senki. Securing talent within Japan who understands all the aspects of animation, such as canvas to character narratives, feelings, etc., seems to become difficult. On the other hand, TV animation is booming in Japan. 103 series per week, the highest amount ever, were being telecast in Tokyo as of July 2006. Midnight broadcast anime and DVD releases aimed at hardcore audiences have been increasing, although all but the most popular are making money. The onset of cost reductions in the animation industry first started in the late 90s with a great outsourcing of cell creation to countries such as South Korea and China. Cost reduction measures advanced further around 2000 when digital technology and hand-penciled computer-colored frames entered the equation. This method greatly reduced lengthy times it takes to paint cells. Most production companies in Japan now fully adopt this method. Nikkei staff writer Nobuto Ito asks what has occurred overall as a result of this. His answer? A shortage of vital human resources of young men and women with detailed know-how has increased. And finally, the long-running TV anime Saze-san has weathered through the period of anime boom virtually unchanged. The program celebrates its 38th anniversary this year. Sticking to the Japanese tastes, around 50 employees carry out its production in the Arakawa ward of Tokyo, still painting every cell by hand. So he, he this said one thing interesting yeah. about the idea that the new creators, that they aren't really stepping up. Right. Mm -hmm. And while I sort of agree with that, I don't think it's entirely their fault. We'll talk about this in about a week or two, but there was actually an interview with Yasuo Otsuka on the special edition Castle of Cagliostro DVDs, and he talks about how nowadays creators are not free to be able to just go and say, I have this idea, I want to make yeah. this show. You can't do that anymore unless you're already super duper established like the Miyazakis mm -hmm. already are. Mm -hmm. right. Nowadays, everything is just producers and but publishers even then, and money people saying, this is what gets made, you have to make it this way, you can't deviate from this. Even go then, it do doesn't it. always work, though, because Mamoru Oshii as gigantic as he is, has to bend to the whim of... I mean, he didn't right. want to make Innocence. He had to make it. That's right. Even with the big ones, it doesn't always apply. Yeah, but, but go on. the point is... But is they that, have more freedom. Right. They have more free reign than the average up-and-coming person to yeah. try new things and possibly make something great. Because you're not going to just make the next great thing unless you get that chance. 
they don't seem to be giving people the opportunity to sort of formulate themselves like at Studio Ghibli where yeah they did let Goro Miyazaki come out with a work but it seems like they all put it all on Miyazaki's shoulders to come out with the next big thing mm -hmm. while the, the smaller guys may get that one or two works here and there where's oh. the next great person gonna emerge out of the way that say Toei's set up now mm. Well, the other thing is that they talked about cost-cutting and stuff, and they talked about not having enough people or having shortage of labor. Well, if they hadn't done so much cost-cutting, and if Japan didn't pay their animators and their manga artists and everything such shit wages, if they actually paid them real money that they could really live off of, then maybe more people in Japan would be motivated to go into the animation and manga industries and work really hard at it and come up with something really amazing instead of them not wanting to go into it, which I understand is part of the problem. Do you think that people like Makoto Shinkai will then become very much more common? Makoto Shinkai, for those of you who don't know, is the creator of Beyond the Clouds. It's possible that that might happen. People will start doing it on their own. But I don't know if Japan culturally is quite as set up to have that kind of massive indie production scale. Plus, if that many people are saying, oh well, there's no future in the animation industry or in manga because they don't pay for crap and I'd like to be able to eat, then I think they're probably more likely to just give up on it and go into something that's going to pay the bills. Like video than, games. Yeah, that's where uh, we're losing a lot of them. And I don't know how likely then they're going to be to slave over a homebrew project. And then that's another thing in terms of slaving over. That article mentioned how many hundreds of things are being made even each mm -hmm. week. Back when all the major big-name guys broke out, so to speak, the output wasn't nearly as big. So each individual thing had that much better of a chance yeah. to get noticed and to take off. But nowadays, it's really hard for something to catch on when there's 130 episodes of stuff being thrown out. 103 episodes, but yeah. The possible anime viewing watching audience doesn't have time to watch even but a fraction of those things. Right. Although, of course, I Although, have no idea if that was how many of those are new shows and if that's yeah. shows or even reruns. Even if it's not new shows. Even if I, it's just half new shows. I must admit, I, I'm a bit confused by some of the message of the article, because on the one hand, they seem to be saying, oh, the new Ghibli movie didn't do very well, so we should assume from this that the animation industry in general is going down the toilet, and nobody cares anymore. But then they turn around and they say that, oh, but TV animation is doing so well, and well, this other stuff is doing so well. They don't say well. that TV animation is doing well. They say there's a lot of it, and there's oh. only a few of them actually make money. Right. It's probably not really so much that, oh, people aren't watching anime on television anymore. It's just that that increase in number of shows has splintered the same amount of people up into tinier subgroups. I'd hate to be it's, the person that says, you know, we have to cut out this show and this show and this show, but it's, it's right. going to have to happen, probably. Because they're pro inevitably going to cut out shows that I think are good. Um, <laughs> obviously, this is a, a big issue now. Since we're running a bit long, we should probably get to the last bit of news. Yeah. And this one is... It's the best news of all. This the is... Uh, I've been waiting for all my life. There have been rumors going on for a long time that Bandai was going to replace the Zeta Gundam box set DVDs with the individual disc releases. And the reason for this was because the Zeta Gundam box DVD translation 
was not very accurate. It was not 100% dub titled, but it was pretty awful. Very close. And the dub is more accurate, so even dub titled would have been better. They released these individual discs, and these individual discs had a much better translation, much more accurate. And they and had so, said they were never going to re-release it. <laughs> yeah, they did. Ideas were going around that maybe Bandai was going to actually uh, you know, allow for a replacement so the guys who put up the enormous amount of money for this box set in the beginning could get a better release. And they finally came up with their answer! And they said no! Oh, what a surprise! Not. They said there will never be any replacements on the Zeta Gundam box set. Congratulations, Bandai, on being total cocks. Yeah. yeah, I don't get it. It's not one of those things where people are demanding, hey, go and fix this by printing up a new thing, and they say, yeah. no, there's How never going to do is that. It? How, How hard, hard is it, is it to exchange made? How much do those discs cost to send? Come on. I mean, I don't know. Daryl, if they said, we'll give you the discs, you pay $10 shipping and handling, would you I'd do that? I'd do it. I'd say, yeah, sure, here's all my discs, and then just send me back discs in, like, a paper sleeve or something like that, mm -hmm. and then I'll put them in the cases I've already got, Man, and that's all it takes. But I mean, I guess I'm relieved that they came out with a definite answer. Yeah, but it's good that they finally... It's total bullshit, though. It's a bullshit yeah. answer, but it's an answer, and I'll give yeah. credit for that. At the same time, their answer is the kind of answer that would compel me to just say, that does it, I'm just going to pirate everything you guys license from now on, not give you guys another cent. But yeah. realistically, I'm not going to do that because I just spent 200-some dollars on Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much Bandai loves you, folks. People are always, yeah. I hear on other podcasts, they're always Otaku Generation, Anime Pulse, they're always going on about Funimation. Nah, Funimation, those guys are saints compared to this shit. I mean, come yeah. on. The amount of money that people put up for these things, and now that they've... And how much was the set when it first came out? MSRP for the set was $200. Mm -hmm. And they told everyone there's only going to be... 5,000 of these made, and this is the only way you're going to get the show. So, hey, if you don't pre-order it, you're kind of not going to get it, kind of thing. That wasn't <laughs> true, all right, but... Yeah, I thousand of those it, sets must have been for sale at... Wasn't it, on, wasn't it, like, on the shelves at Best Buy? Yeah, yeah, it was on the yeah, shelves yeah. at Best Buy, and that's where it was to $200. I pre-ordered right. it, I paid 120 You get all these neat little extra things, you get these nice pencil sharpeners, you get this box, you get it in thin packs, all that mm. stuff. You get a poster, you get a booklet, all that, but the discs themselves yeah, yeah. are, are not that great. And I'm at the point where if I could yeah. get away with it, I would be buying the new discs, swapping out my old ones, and going mm -hmm. back and trying to return things for store credit. You know, something. at this point, I think maybe not every single Bandai thing, but I think that I'm not ever going to buy anything Gundam ever again. Because they've been fucking those Gundam yeah, releases up for a I, long time. I cannot... I cannot think of very many Gundam releases that they haven't fucked up in some way or another. Like, I never bought Gundam Wing back in the day because they fucked that one up. Yes, bad yeah. subtitles on Gundam Wing, yeah. bad Titles. subtitles on G Gundam. Yeah. No Japanese track on the original Gundam. On the Gundam. original Gundam series. It, but the it, thing is, like, there were yeah. some that they did good jobs on. Like, they did, from what I hear... The OAVs, I thought they yeah, did they, a good the job. Yeah, they did a decent with. job. 080, 008, 38, mm. the mess yeah. team. And then the recent stuff, Gundam right. Seed was fine. And I, yeah. I presume Seed Destiny's fine. It's too horrible. I'm not going to pay a cent for it. But <laughs> the original Gundam movie trilogy was a nice release. Yeah, that was a fine yeah. release. But I mean, so, so what's what's up, Bandai? What's wrong with you? I mean, this is your biggest license. This is the biggest yeah. thing that you own. Why are you fucking it up so badly? Do you just yeah. not know how to deal with this show? You're, you're bitching. Yeah, we just don't understand the economics of the business. We're too stupid to comprehend it. Yeah. Bandai, you're bitching that 
people in America aren't buying enough Gundam, the Gundam isn't doing as well. It would help if you would stop totally fucking up the releases. Because then even less people are going to buy it. People like me. And me. Gerald wouldn't buy it anyway because he hates Gundam. Right. But... But... Got a couple of Gundam shows and I like them, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's a lot of news this week. And uh, so, that's it. And I guess on with the rest of the show. Rangers, behold the viewing globe. Zordon, what exactly are we looking at? Nothing, come to think of it, since this is an audio ad. But never mind that, there's a podcast that is your duty to listen to. That podcast calls itself RangerCast. Ranger what? What's a podcast? <sighs> Do I have to explain everything around here? Just go to rangercast.podomatic.com. There you'll find news, reviews, rants, raves, and random nonsense about you. And may the power protect you. Listen to The Floating Head. Go to rangecast.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes. See you soon on Rangecast, the most more phenomenal podcast on the web. We should introduce our guest. We've got uh, with us <laughs> this week on the line is Dave Merrill. Dave is the person who I strive to be like. In oh, terms please. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> you need to gain about 40 pounds and move to Canada. <laughs> Dave, for those of you who don't know is a true renaissance man, artist, convention staffer, guy who has a I, ridiculous I, collection I, of things. Actually, I've, I don't have a ridiculous collection of any one thing, but I have examples of a lot of different things. Like, uh, I don't have every issue of Richie Rich, but I have the key <laughs> issues of Richie Rich. I that see. sort of thing. But yeah, as far as anime goes, Dave, for many years, was the chair of Anime Weekend Atlanta, which is one of the largest... Anime conventions, certainly the largest in the southeast. He's also the founder of Anime Hell over at AnimeHell.org. That's right, I invented it. Yes. Yeah. Oh There's no one else had done it before. There, the concept of a clip show had never been done before. That's, yeah, right. that's right. No one in the world. That's true. Actually, it's like Joe Dante, the film director. He would go to college campuses with a big, on 16-millimeter film, a big clip reel of old commercials and episodes of Spin and Marty or whatever and show them to college students. This is back in the 70s. So it's nothing new. But as far as anime to... cons go. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Mm -hmm. that's right. Innovation. <laughs> and you can also check out his website at mrkitty.org. We've had that link up since this show's begun. Mrkitty.org. Uh, that's me and my wife, Shandel Manuk. We're both cartoonists. We put scans of crazy old comics and wacky found objects and put up two songs, two singles every week. That are usually pretty wacky. Yeah, and, they, you know, they get on boing boing a lot. It's been like three times, I think. So far, we have not exceeded our bandwidth. We're waiting hmm. for that day. That day will come. <laughs> Dave, how long have you been into this whole Japanese cartoons thing? Well, when I was two, and this was in the Nixon administration, there was a show called Prince Planet that I saw me and my brother watched. And I thought, well, you know, this is pretty awesome. And then when I was six, Speed Racer was on the air, and I watched a lot of Speed Racer. And when I was 10, there was this show called Star Blazers, which I saw two minutes of and just completely fell in love with. And about when I was 11 and 12, I started going to comic book shows. I noticed that some of the dealers would have books from these Japanese cartoons that I've been watching. And I'm like, holy God, this is the greatest thing ever. I want to do nothing but be into this Japanese cartoon thing. Because you see one or two shows, you're like, well, it's one or two shows. But you get an issue of, well, any anime book or magazine, and it's like, oh, my God, there's hundreds of these things. Mm. You know, there's, huh. there's 
uh, an entire different Star Blazers TV show. There's five movies. What's going on here, you know? <laughs> was that when you first became aware of it as Japanese? No, I knew, I can remember being aware that Speed Racer was a Japanese show. I, I'm not really sure how. In the early 70s, you had a lot of movies on television. We saw Alakazam the Great on television. Oh, right. You'd go to the uh, drive-in and they'd have crazy anime movies. A lot of the early Toei children's stuff would make it. And there was, I think, an awareness that if it wasn't Japanese, it would lease this kind of weird mid-60s UPA style that may have been some crazy Czechoslovakian thing or something. But there was an awareness that it was a foreign, because the dubbing was so bad, for one thing. Unnatural, anyway. So about this Prince Planet thing, we can all ask you for copies of that, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did run an organization called the Prince Planet Foundation in which I said, well, I'll copy Prince Planet for anybody who wants it. And I did this for like four years, and I must have copied Prince Planet, all the 12 episodes I had, like 40 or 50 times a year. So that got really old really fast. And now, of course, you can go to any convention and buy bootleg DVDs. And Something Weird Video has two episodes of Prince Planet on their Starman DVDs, which I highly recommend. Those are terrifically wacky films, and the Prince Planet episodes look great. So if you want to see Prince Planet, Something Weird Video. They just threw these two episodes of a Japanese cartoon on these DVDs? Yes. Yeah, it's an extra. Oh, really? The rights to Prince Planet... Actually, uh, Jeff Thompson, who just passed away recently, was... I had asked him about it because he was involved with... Jeez, what's that company? They were... Yeah, they were researching Prince Planet, and what he found was that in order to even get the legal work done, it would cost way more than anyone was ever going to realize on the show. Because it was one of these, it was an American international show that got bought out by Orion, that got bought out by MGM, that got bought out by God knows who. So I think something weird just said, well, we're going to put these on here, and if we get sued, fine. And if not, we won't. And as far as I know, they haven't been sued. So good for them. Let's see if we can make a dent in some of these emails. Viewer mail. (laughs) Listener mail. They can't see us. Listener (laughs) mail. They're watching their computer while they do this. All right, well, I guess I'll start off with one since Why don't you? the initiative is so. I'll just go back read to. my email. Yeah, no one <laughs> wants to. Like when you write a bad review, you get lots of great hate mail. So, really how about that, that Angel Sanctuary review, dude? I know, man. Oh, I didn't boy. get anything. I, I got like one mean email from that. Most of the mean email I got was from Helsing because I really, if I'm reviewing one DVD, I should really watch the entire series before I review that one DVD. So, no, I don't think so. For those of you who don't know, we neglected to mention it, but Dave Merrill also writes reviews for AnimeJump.com. We had Mike Tool on way back in show number 11 or 12, whenever we did the Odin episode. Go and read that Angel Sanctuary review. It's, it's very, it's very, very accurate. Yes, it is. Dan that. Holy cow, this was like, oh, Angel Sanctuary, it's awesome, it's so great. This is terrible. The, the anime is terrible. The I'm manga, sure the manga is, much is better. I'm sure the manga is much better. I find that anime, I'm not a big Evangelion fan, but I enjoyed reading the manga more than I did watching mm. the television series. Well, part of the problem with Angel Sanctuary is that it's a decently long manga, and they compressed it down into the, a short OAV series, which meant that they didn't have time to fit very much in, and so it ends up being kind of nonsensical. So Dude actually does want to bone his sister? That's, yes. that's the, the crux of the matter? Yeah, yeah. And the only person that ever says this might be a bad idea is his crazy mom, who's crazy. Yeah. Uh. So it's, it's, it's what you saw there, compressed out to, like, what, 12 volumes or something? Holy cow. 
That's oh, what dear. irritated me about it was the only person that dared say <laughs> maybe this is a bad idea is the evil character. I don't actually remember if anybody else in the manga is like, hey, not <laughs> nope, cool, No, no dude. one else is. I, I don't think so, but yeah. There are other girls in the world, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we swear. This one is from way back in July. It shows how on the ball we are when it comes to answering these things. It's from Vitaly, if I'm pronouncing that right. The subject is the NPR of anime podcasting. I guess that's us. Hey, all, my name is Vitaly, but most of my friends just call me V for short, because I can't pronounce my name. I think I'll follow suit. Anyway, I've been listening to your podcast ever since about episode 6 or 7, and I've always been meaning to write some feedback to you guys, but never really knew what to say. I think it was this last episode of the podcast, episode 26, that finally made me realize what it was that made your podcast different from the ones like Anime Pulse or Otaku Generation, and also made me a bit mad about the fact that you guys sell yourself short so much of the time. I tried listening to the other ones, yet I still always come back to your show. You could say it was the theme song that we stole without permission. (laughs) That hooked me from the beginning. Anyway, back to the point. Episode 26 made me realize that the reason I enjoy your show so much is because it is sort of like NPR. I mean, let's (laughs) analyze NPR, shall we? Are we that smart? I don't. I never hear you guys beg for money. I'm sorry. Oh, we just got finished begging we, for yeah. money for these <laughs> last two weeks. Yes, well, we that did. shows you how. Except how when you give us money, you don't get special gifts. Yeah, that's the the difference. You, you just to, give us your yeah, money. <laughs> you don't have to pay two hundred and fifty dollars for a CD. That's true, though. She continues. The audio quality, sure, may be crappy and sounds like an AM station on an FM dial. But the content of the audio is so much more superior than, let's say, some overpaid Clear Channel Infinity affiliate. So when you guys keep saying, even jokingly, that we should go listen to other podcasts because yours sucks, I get a little pissed off because your podcast actually has meaning to it, at least for me. I can say without reservation, this is the only anime podcast I listen to. It seems that our guests are pretty much essentially, to date, the AWA three guest list <laughs> and our listenership between that was the high point. According yeah, to the high point, of the, the high point of the convention <laughs> was AWA three. I didn't start going until AWA four. That tells you something. You missed out, man. AWA, I believe AWA four was the debut of Hino, so that shows. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, probably. Because uh, I had the tape, and I'm like, there's no way other people are going to find this funny. <laughs> how could, did you know? How can people not? How can people not love Hino? It's Hino. Well, Dave can't love Hino because he has to look at his creepy mug for the last <laughs> ten years straight every this time year, he goes. This year at Anime Hell, I think this is well. You know, Hino's retired, and I think when I run Hino this year, I'm gonna. That's it. I'm done with that guy. I'll have to find something else to make people laugh with. I'm, yeah, I'm it's going to be that. nothing but the Wizard of Speed and Time from now on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that poor guy. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, we yeah. just yeah. watched I just we showed just everyone the movie it. last it's week. It's awesome because it's such a, such a, well, I don't shake hands. It's like this big, whiny, <laughs> look how special I am. No one likes me here in Hollywood. Yeah. And, it's oh, awesome, what a though. poor guy. What really makes it is the dude's incredibly creepy facial expressions. I still need a, an internet avatar of that dude's creepy face. I'll make you like, one. running along. <laughs> Probably awesome. the only expression that he could hold for so long. <laughs> you know, that's his real house. Oh, really? His real that's house, his real garage, his that's real wow. parents. Now, those those I were his real say, parents, too. It takes <laughs> incredible balls to star as yourself in a feature film where yeah. you show your own bedroom with a single bed in it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's, it's that a guy bunk had bed filled balls. with all I kinds know. of props. And 
That's yeah. the life. If you want to make a movie saying, I never wish to have sex with women, that's, <laughs> that's the movie right there. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be running that at my panel if Dave doesn't run. <laughs> anyway, Where were we in the back to the letter. <laughs> podcast. Only podcasts he listens to. Indeed. <laughs> I want to say I am overly impressed with the guests that you guys do get because they are actually interesting to listen to and seem to know their worth of anime knowledge. And it was kind of funny to me when you guys brought up the Dragon Ball Z conversation with Steve Harrison, where he mentioned that most Dragon Ball Z fans pretty much always stick to the same old show. I'll admit I was taken in by the whole DBZ hype when I first started watching anime. It was truly my first anime that I actually recognized as such. But I'd like to say that it was the DBZ that was my gateway drug, so to speak, into mm -hmm. the whole anime scene. The parallel I'd like to draw is Daryl's constant references to Fist of the North Star, <laughs> which is in essence a gateway drug for his generation, at least in my view. Let me back up. Nobody, no one who watched Fist of the North Star, even back when it was popular here in America, seemed to ever like it. That's not a gateway. Oh, yes. Fist of the North Star is more like a heroine. Yeah. It's not your read. It's, you have to have an appreciation for anime, and then you see this Fist of the North Star, and you're like, holy cow! Yeah, I, I actually showed the movie to a bunch of my uh, friends back in uh, middle school and such, and they just went wild for it. But oh, it's it's perfect for... I mean, it's written for 12-year-olds. It is. Yeah. It's it's not a show for adults. Like, when Streamline marketed that movie, they marketed it as this art house thing. Dude, this is a movie for 16-year-olds, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's about watching people's heads explode. It's, it's exactly. And, and Kenshiro being manly, so... It's about super yeah. powerful and possibly non-existent martial arts. Right. Yes. <laughs> As I was explaining to Noah from the Ninja Consultant podcast, there are certain levels of shonen and shoujo such that if you get high enough at the level, it loops all the way around to the other thing. You can be so manly, it's girly. Like this is a That's North right. Star like JoJo's adventure. <laughs> That's right. And you can be so girly, you're manly, like brother to brother. Yeah. And oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Of which they're making a new movie. They're making uh, a new Rose of Versailles movie? Yeah, I actually can't confirm if it's animated or live action. Okay. Have you but seen the live-action movie? Oh, yeah. I, the, I have the, the live-action movie, the yes. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> but they're making a new one for its anniversary next year. Dude. They're making a new Dan Cougar, too. Yep. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, Mike Dan announced Man, that over and, at R5 Central. a new giant robo? What's going on? This is cool. Well, you know, they've run out they of ideas. They've run out of ideas. So oh, yeah. Back to the well, oh, God, it's, it's Hollywood. Uh, it's well, Hollywood all over again. Well, yeah. Let's just remake everything. At least they're using good material to start True. with. <laughs> And back to this letter that I can't finish because I'm so off topic. <laughs> Another thing I'd like to comment on in regards to your podcast is the fact that I listen very closely to the anime that you guys review and give your approval of and disapproval of accordingly. No, I have not gone to see Odin. <laughs> well, that's wise. But at the same token, I went out and I bought Crusher Joe. Yes. And I must say that Gerald is the man for the recommendation. I thought it was really good. I thought it was better than Cowboy Bebop. I've also gotten stuff like Gal Gygar, Air Master, even a couple episodes of Saint Seiya, just to see what I was missing. <laughs> I am very interested in your guys' recommendations, so keep them coming. Just so you know, I never knew what the big hype about Pat Labor was, but the moment I saw the first movie and a couple episodes of the TV series, I was hooked, and I'm now buying all the DVDs, so thank you again. When Pat Labor first came out, I saw that first OVA and was totally not impressed. Mm. But the movie, the movie is terrific, and the, the, uh, the television series is a lot of fun. 
Yeah. And so, in conclusion, I'd like to say that your podcast is really what defines the good of podcasting in my eyes. And if you need votes or different sites or whatever, you can always count on mine. So I'd like to take a bow and tip my hat to Daryl, Gerald, and Clarissa for an amazing job on this podcast. And I'm waiting in anticipation for more from you guys. We need to yeah. read some hate mail now. Yeah. That's a satisfied yeah. customer right there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think... We'd have to talk more about whatever the anime equivalent is to making, like, macrame belts out of typewriter ribbons <laughs> in order to really be the NPR of anime podcasting. We need more we hollow need music. more sweaty balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we were working on that the other day. Actually, that's, college, that's a college radio DJ voice. First you heard Broken Lizard with, you know. We need to have interviews with people that, uh, that you know, make tape cassettes and things like that. and. <laughs> Really, like just inane. Revolution. Yeah, just inane things. No, I, I got to say, NPR. You know, they do the um, the Fresh Air, and they had that interview with uh, Gene Simmons that was pretty awesome. The interviews they do have on NPR, they go a little deeper. <clears throat> they ask really good questions. Unfortunately, yeah. the local NPR affiliates by me do not carry Fresh Air. <laughs> you get the same one that we do. What? I have two NPR affiliates that I can tune into. Neither of them carry Fresh Air. They're all about playing jazz music. That's just lame. You know, I saw Aww. that Prayer Home Companion movie this year, and it was a really good movie. Yeah? That means I'm old. <laughs> I watched and enjoyed Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> I'm old. Oh. It's terrible. We have another email from David Anderson, also from back in July. Yeah, we're, we're real good at this. It's a follow-up to another message that he had sent us before that I think we responded to, and he was talking about Please Save My Earth. He says... About Please Save My Earth, instead of saying I hate it, say the message was lost in the bad delivery. A rule of thumb is that any dub from 20 years ago will be bad. Changed lines, dropped lines, emotionless acting, over-emotional acting all lead to this. For example, Crusher Joe finally arrived, and I like the subtitle version better, even though the characterization moments border on pedophilia. Hmm. Crusher Joe wasn't dubbed 20 years ago, unless you're talking about the shot me with silent invisible bullets! Crushers! <laughs> The other dub was done relatively recently by Coastal Carolina. In terms of emotionless acting, I don't know that that's gotten any better in terms of anime dubs. I find most anime dubs now to be pretty lackluster. I would agree that I really like Please Save My Earth, but I would agree that the anime, it doesn't really cover all that much of the manga, and they do kind of draw things out, and then they're like, oh, holy crap, we have to finish this uh, now. We've got five minutes. Yeah, I think it's probably not the most effective rendition. I vaguely remember watching maybe a piece of the dub, and I do remember it kind of sucking. So. Oh yeah, it was by Ocean Group. Yeah, the yeah. show. Very Canadian. Yeah. Since I keep making the silent invisible bullets joke, and we've got Dave on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you you want you mind explaining that? One? Could I explain this? Yeah. There was a dub of the Crusher Joe film that was produced sometime in the midst of mid to late 1980s by, I want to say, Jim Terry and his crew. I haven't actually seen a professional copy of it. It's hacked down to 90 minutes. All the violence is snipped out. Everybody's got terrible names. Joe sounds like this all the time. The leader of the <laughs> team because he's the whiniest. Yeah, it's just mm. a really terrible dub. Aww. People complain about dubs now, but when they did crappy dubs in the 80s, boy, how oh, yeah. they were. They were crappy. And Dave should know, because he was actually, for years, part of the Cornpone Flicks crew, and still is. <laughs> I still and, am. Yeah, you guys made a thing called Bad American Dubbing, which is we pretty made... much the only way I know about this Crusher to dub at all. We made uh... three separate Bad American Dubbing, one, two, and three. The first one was like 
two VCRs and a microphone and us doing it real time. And the third one has all sorts of crazy tricks and actual mm. editing and stuff like that. I mean, so. Is it true that the third one was made in like three days? Yeah, we went to Matt's house. We went into his bedroom and we recorded for about 12 hours straight. Then we came back the next day and recorded for about another 12 hours straight. And it was pretty much done by that point. That was also the time that we realized that whereas, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to make fun of bad dubbing, the humor is more coming from just taking things out of context mm. rather than, oh, look at how stupid this dubbing is. It's just, well, this is just a silly line we took out of context, you know. Yeah. And also I realized I kind of like a lot of that old dubbing. It's got a lot of charm to it. That Muta King line is still one of my favorites. I always remember the Captain Harlock, Geronimo! That's enough! I know who's behind this little trick of yours! It's that mad outlaw, Harlock! Humph! Wrong, little man! Huh? Geronimo! Harlock, how did you get here? I jumped. Oh, God. Well, that's your bad. Yeah, so, well, yeah. let me tell you, these bad American dubbing things profoundly affected my life because I have the Ziv Video Harlock now because oh. I know. That. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. Now, it's like, oh, man, must I've seen it. this. I gotta go track yeah. this down. It must be mine. I keep finding more bad American dubbing. I found a, a tape called Chatterer the Squirrel that has oh, woodland God. creatures yeah, speaking in these. I do not understand why you were attempting to do such a thing. Chatterer, you know, <laughs> really bizarre. Speed racer style. <laughs> it's worse. Yeah. It's it's, you know, you find these things at yard sales, thrift stores, flea markets. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Nice. We have a voicemail from Ryan Gavigan, which he sent quite some time ago, but due to various things, we never got around to playing it. This was way back, I believe it's with regards to a wind named Amnesia that Clarissa had reviewed. Let's play that now. Hey guys, this is Ryan calling from the live from the asbestos lined centers of Anime Hill. Didn't think I would run into a five-minute segment where I would hear references to Keanu Reeves and William Rentgen in the same show. So, yeah, tips to you on that. I just had one note about Lynn Named Amnesia. And that, well, I always considered it one of my sleeper favorites from back in the day. And I always figured it kind of also had the problem of it not being a TV series. But that was kind of a symptom of a lot of things back in the late 80s and early 90s, kind of that OVA fad was going on. And before I go, I just wanted to leave one note regarding uh, Gerald and his Galforce review. Just have one thing to say about that, and that is... Gatti! Gatti! Ja. He actually wrote an email as a follow-up for things that he forgot to mention. He forgot one of his talking points when he left us the voice message. This is what he wrote. I always looked at Wind Named Amnesia and got a kind of nostalgic feeling, like Zapang in the final countdown. For the American classic Damnation Alley, where we have George Peppard and Chris Elliott galvanating across the country in the Paperboy 3000 in the post-apocalyptic era, finally set the world straight by putting the magnetic pole back on its axis. What? Did you say galvanating? Galavanting. Gallivanting, yes. I heard galvanating. I, I said the wrong word, is what I Did said. Did he say Chris Elliott was in Damnation Alley? Yeah. That's a Jan Michael Vincent, homeboy. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yes, it was that kind of movie. Uh. <laughs> Not that I haven't seen that in a long time, actually. So, yeah, this is like, every time we bring up these old movies, like, the final countdown and... This... Yeah. No, the, the, the Roy Scheider movie, as opposed to the Europe Ninja Survive album. That was Kirk Douglas <laughs> in the final countdown. That's right. See, no, but that's what I was getting at, is that someone said, 
I believe it was Steve Harrison said, oh, it was so-and-so, and then they responded back, no, oh, it was yeah, 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 Kirk yeah. Douglas. Well, it's, yeah. you know, fans love to trivia off each other. Yeah. <laughs> it was that guy. No, no, wait, it was that other dude. No. Mm. It's all part of demonstrating who's got the stronger kung fu, Dave. It's true. Yeah, it is. To, whoever has the strongest kung fu wins. I thought it was well, about having the biggest e-penis. Or the well, two I just tell equivalent. you, fans, fans have a real tendency to... If you give them a fact, they will try to top you. If you give them a rule, they'll try to come up with an exception. If you say the sky is blue, they'll say, well, sometimes it's red. They're very pedantic, and that's one thing that really irritates me about fans. Well, that's what this podcast is about, is pedanticism and one-upsmanship and saying, <laughs> that was from 1983, not 1984, retard! <laughs> so what about what he had to say? Clarissa, it was mostly directed towards you. What do you think? Yeah. Well, mostly what he was saying was in agreement with what I already said in the review, so yeah, definitely. I think he's definitely right on the Damnation Alley thing. I don't know if that movie was really a direct inspiration on the writer or not, but I wouldn't be surprised. One thing so. that I would like to bring up, and he, he mentioned this just sort of briefly, was uh, talking about problems with the OAV time period. Oh, and yeah. I don't know. I actually think that there's also a lot of problems today in that you get these TV series that I think would have been better as... A three-part OAV as yeah, opposed to a 13-episode exactly. show. Exactly. Yeah, that they just don't have enough material there for a TV show. They can't do OAVs now, or at least... Yeah. It's not as bad as it used to be, but they just don't make OAVs very much anymore. Right. Well, maybe part of the problem was because they made too many OAVs, and they squished too many things down into OAVs that ended up not really being that great. So then the people stopped buying OAVs. So then they're like, oh, well, we'll just do TV series, and now it's like everything's got to be stretched out. I have the feeling the OVA boom really reflects some kind of a marketing system in Japan mm. that we just did not have in the States, that they were sold or, or rented be. or whatever through... It was in response to market conditions that we just have no yeah. knowledge of. I'm just amazed that people actually did pay $100, up to $100 for God. a video. I mean, $80 and <laughs> such. Dude, yeah. we would, yeah, uh, I can, uh, you know, the, the anime clubs in the, in the 80s and the early 90s was like, whoever had the disposable income to buy that original video of Cosmos Pink Shock, or right. uh, <laughs> Cool Cool Buy. Well, or, I mean, uh, it's, it's one thing if you don't really have easy access to it. I more understand the American fans who, maybe it's harder to get the stuff yeah, yeah. than being willing to pay, but it's like... For the people in Japan, oh, yeah, that it's like the OAV that. costs eighty something dollars, and there are thousands of copies of it, and it's not like it's hard for them to get it, and to still have to pay eighty or a hundred dollars. I, I remember I Patrick Macius when uh, I don't know if what he said this when he was on our show, but I remember he'd said this. He kind of likened the OAV boom to sort of like the beginning of mm. the end, very much like how Dave, you know a lot about comic books or at least comic books from back when you were a kid, as opposed to comic books now. But you know all about how once Diamond and all those people started just exactly, concentrating on exactly. that direct market, the hardcore crazy fans, mm. it kind of alienated everybody else, the casual say, folks. A lot of the OVAs that were coming out in the late 80s and early 90s were of an appeal only to the true fan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, guy off the street is not going to buy Metal Skin Panic, Maddox 01. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. yeah. No children is going to want to buy uh, Steel Demon. L-O-G-H. Digital, yeah, Digital yeah. Devil Story. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I think that there were good OAVs made. Oh, yeah, and oh, so I think that, But I think that you're definitely right. 
I mean, I guess it's just symptomatic of what they are. Right. Now, when we have TV shows being made, there's either the show that's designed to be a mega hit for everyone, your Naruto's and your One Pieces and your Bleaches mm -hmm. and that stuff, and then a whole slew of stuff that's, if you're not already a crazy otaku person, you're not even going to even stand a chance of buying this. Like, it's right. Only at, like, 3 in the morning, these things air. And... This yeah. is what's happening with American comic books right now. If you don't have a doctorate degree in the history of the DC Universe, <laughs> you can't enjoy a Superman comic book anymore. Mm. Unless it's, you know, one from 1967, which features the Legion of Super Pets. Or, sorry, the Space mm. Protection Canine Agency. Yes, if you'd, like to see, <laughs> if you'd like to see scans of that, it's over on Mr. Oh. Kitty. That oh is the greatest yeah. comic, comic book story section. ever written. Is that the one where Crypto <laughs> gets put on trial by the... Yes. Supreme Court of Dogs. Oh. No, <laughs> no, it's it's um some space. Crypto console. and Superboy are actually in it very, very little. But it does it feature evil space cats and the cats that belong to the Kryptonian criminals that were exiled to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> Their cats so were like General Zod's cat. The, yeah. Nice. General Zod's cat was also exiled to the Phantom Zone. Nice. See now maybe if they'd used that as the plot line to Superman four See, that for me, I would love to go to see a, a big-budget superhero feature that would feature the Legion of Superheroes and Supergirl and all these crazy Lana Lang and just the whole universe. Just throw them all in. Everybody knows yeah. Lightning Lad is. You know, just throw them in. Have yeah, fun. Yeah. What Two they need to do here. is start thinking about the comic books that sold in the millions and millions and millions mm. back in the 60s and emulate those right. instead of the comic books now, which is if you sell 100,000 copies, you're king of the world. Of course, I mean, they had the really good Justice League TV oh, cartoon, yeah. but then they canceled that, thanks Cartoon Network. Well, and, you know, they're crazy. You know. Yeah, and now we've got the I, Transformers I movie to look forward to. Oh, a movie yeah. that's being written by two guys who wrote The Island and Hercules and Xena and another guy who wrote The Core, and it's being directed by Michael Bay. They have the nerve to try yeah. and tell us we're not going to do the mass size changing because that's not physically realistic. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'm uh. not a Transformers fan. Pretty um, much I, after the movie, I pretty much stopped caring about Transformers. I saw that movie in a theater, and I was, after the first third, I'm like, well, this is, I gotta go get some more popcorn. <laughs> you know, I, I just, it's a yeah. bunch of robots. In fact, yeah. back in the, the Headmaster saga in, in the late 80s, they're like, Dave, you have to watch this. This is really awesome. You'll like Transformers after you watch this. So I watched, like, what, eight, ten episodes of it, and the end result of the Headmaster saga is that the planet of Cybertron has turned gold. That's, that's, and I'm like, this is the lamest crap. I could have been watching Saint Seiya. Yeah, no, that's oh, why, that's why anime fandom kicked off so much in the 80s. because cartoons yeah. that we were making were just like, oh, man. I'd also like to mention that because Dave has now mentioned Transformers, we have learned that this sets off a bomb it among does. our listeners. Crazy Transformers people. I mean, they're right. out there. Please, please direct your hate mail towards we... me. And not no, no, anime we, world. No, no, we, we, we want to hear. Too. I want to hear the real. <laughs> Do you hate Transformers? Tell me how much you hate Transformers. I uh, see. <laughs> I'm the only one that hates Transformers. Well, which Transformers? I don't like Thundercats like, either. If it's if, oh. Oh. Oh, that show killed my childhood because I watched oh. it, I loved it, then I rewatched it when they reran it, and I was like, what was I thinking? What, what was I thinking watching this show? It's horrible. No, Doesn't stand see? the test of time at all. I still like Thundercats. The one that I couldn't rewatch was uh, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is hilarious in a totally different way. It's entertaining still, but in a way completely different from how from you From the way it was. Yeah. yeah. 
I can see that, I guess, in, like, the so awful and ridiculous that it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a generational thing, really. Had I been... Yeah. Had you grown up in the 80s and been a yeah. child of the 80s, Dave, yeah. Transformers yeah. would be your... You I don't know, have a your I don't Bible, have a warm God. fuzzy spot for like that. Me. I have a warm fuzzy spot for like Sid and Marty Croft, you know, like uh -huh. Land yeah. of the Lost. That's now, Gem of the Holograms that holds up perfectly. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Gem and the Holograms is still. Uh... What was that sound? <laughs> no, it's it's, such it's, a good as sound. far as as far as I'm concerned, the Misfits is a band with Glenn Danzig in it. That does, oh, that well, does songs about horror movies. That is a very good Misfits. What I love is seeing the kids in the Skull Misfits t-shirts, you know, they're like 12. Yeah. Yeah, you're a big Misfits fan there, kid. Yeah, really. Anyway, let's see. This show's about anime, so... It is, technically. The last Glenn Danzig is a big anime fan, I'll have you know. Oh, really? He started that comic book company, and they printed Devilman comics. Oh, right, right. Incredibly crappy-looking Devilman comics. I do not recommend anyone play. That was the only Gona guy released commercially in America, wasn't it? I mean, Isn't that odd? There was Venger Robo, which was... Yeah, it was more mm. Kinishikawa. Yeah. I like it, though. It's got a nice vibe to it. Terrible show. <laughs> Don't advise anyone watch. Get a Robo, go. Very, uh, they didn't know what the hell they were doing back then. And we've got another email by Caroline Simcox, and she writes, Hey, guys. Well, I suppose this is something to add to the no-doubt huge pile of responses either about or in defense of Fantastic Children. Is there actually... really a huge pile of responses about um, Fantastic Children? It was her and that. Esteban. That, yeah. That's it. I had actually neither seen nor heard anything about this series before listening to show number 28 in Gerald's review. My interest was piqued when Gerald talked about how he found it cerebral. I've always been a sucker for anime that tries to explore more complex situations and emotions, and I was interested to find out whether it really was as, as impenetrable as he said. I tracked down the series as fast as possible and, and watched it through in the course of about 24 hours and decided that I had to write in and foist my thoughts upon it for your suffering years. Yay. First, the character design. It was a bit of a shock, and I spent a few minutes just boggling at the apparent size of some of the characters' noses. Once that initial culture shock was over, though, I just adjusted and got on with watching the actual drama. I didn't find it continually distracting, and indeed it had rather warmed up to it by the end of the series. It was nicely stylized, as you mentioned, Gerald, rather old school in appearance. In fact, it reminded me of nothing more than Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky, although that may be more down to the feel of the program than necessarily than the designs of the characters. As a matter of personal taste, though, I understand where you're coming from. It does take a shift to assimilate the appearance of the characters and just move on. And that might not be something that every potential audience member is ready or willing or able to do. And I think a lot of people, realistically, they'd, if they see that on the shelf, they'd look at it, take one oh. look at it, and say, oh, this looks weird, and put it back down. I think that was a lot of people. I think you're yeah. right. Second, the pacing. Yes, I found it slow at first, but not that bad. I've watched an awful lot worse in my time, and the pace here redeemed itself by taking the time to establish events, timings, and characters that are important to the rest of the series. As I think someone mentioned in your comments page, you were unfortunate enough to have to stop watching at exactly the wrong point. Episode 13 marks the meeting of Helga and the black-robed children, and from that point, things really begin to crack on. And I know Dave, just to cut in, I know Dave always talks about how he hates hearing people say, well... The first, you know, 20 episodes or whatever a week, but... You have to watch them all to really appreciate it. Yeah. But th this is one of those shows where the first 20 episodes are weak, and then it gets good? It, it was... I actually, uh, when I reviewed the show, I was going to review the first disc, and then by the end of the first disc, I had to rush out and find the second disc because nothing oh, made yeah. any sense at all. And so I watched the second disc, and nothing made any sense. And so I had to review it based on that. 
Well, that's an honest review, you know. Mm-hmm. You're reviewing what you saw. Yeah, and so I guess, I mean, my feeling is that if you have to watch half the show before there's any sort of payoff at all, that's a lot of money to spend, a lot of time as well. But anyway, she goes on to write, Well, I tell a lie. Episode 14 was a clips episode establishing the plot up to that stage, but episode 14 begins a run of fabulously dramatic and fast-paced events. Yes, the program does get you up to that speed with the aid of an episode-long, rather clunky info dump. But as sins go, this one is forgivable in my book. By the end of episode 15, I found that I couldn't stop watching. I had to know what was going to happen next. If you can, Gerald, and you can get past the character designs, do try to track down the other 16 episodes. The first 10 are build-up. Useful character establishing build-up, yes, but by no means the meat of the series. It'd be like someone offering you a fabulous new sound recording system and you just deciding to take the cables. Yeah, you'll definitely need them later, but they ain't the main deal. The real joy of the series is the strength and honesty of its plotting and characterization. The plot, though seemingly complex at first, isn't all that impenetrable, and I'm surprised you still felt that dark by the end of episode 10. Certainly not all the series' questions have been answered, but by that point I was aware of who everyone was, their basic motivations, and what exactly each of them were trying to do. You have to remember that Gerald can't figure out who's on what side in Gundam Seed when the one people side, they wear red and one side (laughs) wears blue. I didn't have that problem with Gundam Seed, I just had a problem figuring out what everything else was going on in that. Where the was people I? that drop the space colonies on Earth, they're the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> the plot manages to, to do that most satisfying of things, giving the audience all the answers that they need and the things that they want to see. For example, in the first two episodes, we see the capture of one of the seven children. I was desperate to know what had happened to her, but sure enough, that particular gun on the wall was paid off tremendously well later on over the course of several episodes. By the end of the series, there was nothing left that I felt I needed to know or that I thought had been glossed over. Every plot beat was treated with respect and given the weight it deserved. The characterization I found quite simple and straightforward. Note, though, that that doesn't make it bad. Some of the characters were notably more complex than others. Dumas brings to mind. But even the more basic among them had a useful personal history and a set of personal motivations which were consistent and well played out. Again, the later episodes help with this, especially when we get to see the relevant backstory for the major characters, but the foundations of that later construction were already well set down within those first ten episodes. As became immediately apparent, I'm sure, I pretty well fell in love with this program by the end of the first episode. I'm sure a lot of that is personal taste. I like my programs to move at a reasonably sedate pace. I appreciate lengthy build-ups which really give weight to the series' final climax, and if the visual style isn't vomit-inducing ugly, I don't really pay all that much attention to it. It's the story that counts, and this one is a corker. A couple more things before I go. First, I want to mention the music, which I really loved. The opening and ending tracks are gorgeous, and thematic repetition throughout the series is very well done. Second, just a little correction. The white-haired children, though they do die, are born again into other families. They don't replace the children in those families. I think that's an inference drawn from the other stories about the alien cuckoo children. They're actually born to their new parents. The thing that has traveled from one life to the next is the spirit of the children in question. Nothing is being displaced in this setup. Anyway, that's it. Uncalled for review over. Love what you guys do, and I hope you keep doing it for many podcasts to come. Gerald, I hope you don't feel targeted by this. I just found myself disagreeing with your final verdict on the series and wanted to speak up for it. Cheers, Caroline. From the UK, which I could tell from the use of the word corker. (laughs) And the fact that she was able to throw in a reference to Chekhov's gun. You want to explain what that is, Gerald, or should I? No, you do it. All right. Anton Chekhov, he was a playwright. Yes. And yeah. uh, he had a idea, a literary technique, such that you introduce, say, a fictional element like a plot point or a character or a place or something like that. You introduce it early, and then 
the idea is that the investment will pay off later in the story, even if it's not important now. How does that it make her British? It ends up having significant. It's just the fact that it's the caliber of the coolness of the email. It's not something that most Americans would probably right. have been educated about. And the reason it's called Chekhov's gun is the idea that oh, if there's a gun on the wall, the wall um, in the first act, act. it Somebody, doesn't get used until yeah. maybe the end, but it's there right. and. Uh. So that's the idea right. behind the Chekhov well, yeah, gun. If there's a gun on the wall in the first act, then somebody'd better get shot by it. Yeah, somebody oh, yeah. has to fire it by the end. Well, yeah. If it's a telephone, it had better ring. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Very well, much like, say, in the James Bond movies. <laughs> it's like, here, here Bond, this vaped. pen will fire a laser beam that can... Yeah. Probably won't need Any this, shark you find. <laughs> Just in case. Helps you control sharks, yes. You won't, you won't ever need it, I'm sure. The BSLDX-23 laser was, communications <laughs> device. I've been playing that, um, that commercial with Love Game, and at one point oh, the yeah. Russians take over the embassy, and, and the guy's like, the Russians have taken over the embassy! And the Bond character says, have they taken hostages? It's like, yes, you know, what a thing to ask. <laughs> Have they taken hostages? Is it in any way harmless? Is it in any way harmless? <laughs> it's like Completely, a in fact, unless you take a giant well, ruby like that. Do I have to go there and save all the hostages? Well, I bet you can cut Nape in half with that. That Chekhov thing is like the equivalent of Raymond Chandler. You know, whenever he was stuck, he would just have someone comes into the room with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's how to move the story. That's how to move the story. Or yeah. slip him a Mickey. Slip him a Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Either is acceptable. Yeah. That was actually one of two uh, responses like that to the Fantastic Children review. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the second one just completely gave the series away. I haven't heard of Fantastic Children. I'm completely ignorant. But does it involve white-haired children that are actually the offspring of space aliens? No. Yes, it <laughs> no. does. Well. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> because that's Village of the Damned. Are they the offspring of space aliens? I don't think so. I don't believe they're... I don't uh, believe if you read the uh, summary... I've never heard of the show. They I'm are. just listening to the letter. Yeah. Because it sounds like John Wyndham's Midwich Cuckoos. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it does have a lot of similarities. It might very close to what you're saying, actually. You know, I actually there's I read no Wyndham's Christopher show. Reeve being horrified. By... You know, I thought he was good in that. <laughs> yeah. I, like I did too. So, I, what could you say about anime world order that hasn't really been said? I. Hey, I, I, you alright? Oh, jeez, don't tell me you have another virus. Oh, no, Mike. I'm just perfectly fine. You're being snarky. No, I'm not being snarky at all. What's the problem? Daryl thinks I'm a nine. He does? He said so himself. He said I was a nine to listen to him hours on end. Why can't you give me a sexy voice, Mike? Well, you came in the package like that. I wasn't going to alter it. Well, you could have done some modification to it. I really don't like this voice, Mike. I mean, Kodakumi's voice would have done even better than this one. Well, you wouldn't want that eye, because then everybody would think you're easy. <laughs> okay, while well, I sort this out, guys, check out r5central.blogspot.com, the homepage of R5 Central podcasting at its finest, where you can hear more comedic gems like this. And hear my apparently annoying voice. Again, that's r5central.blogspot.com. Actually, come to think of it, wasn't Gerald in a dub? The English version of Shozama from Dunbine sounds exactly like him. I, I just read Wyndham's Day of the Triffids, which is a I, terrific book. Uh, terrific book. I, I highly recommend Lids. everyone go out and get that book. Chrysalids was an interesting one he did, too. It's a little depressing, I thought. Yeah, it was. Chrysalids. I never learned how to read, but... <laughs> People in other countries do know how to read, and since we just I read, I can't read. And since we just read an email from someone in the UK, we've always been going on about what anime fandom in other countries is like. 
So I thought I'd read this one. It's from Daniel. He writes, Hi, AWO. I'm a 13-year-old Danish boy. I've heard all your shows up to number 28. I really like it. You got me to watch mecha anime. I especially like the woman's shoujo reviews. <laughs> the woman's is in quotes. Since that's my favorite genre. 13-year-old Danish boy's favorite genre is women's shows. But he's now watches mecha shows. Now he watches so. mecha. We'll so make he's... him straight yet. A long time ago, you asked about the status of anime in foreign countries. So here's the status of anime and manga in Denmark. Dragon Ball, One Piece, Naruto, Love Hina, you know, all that stuff, is some of the manga released in Denmark. The manga costs about what translates to roughly $8.44 US. A popular anime and manga site had a pool of the most popular manga released in Denmark. Samurai Deeper Kyo came in first, and Love Hina came in second. Denmark, something's rotten in that state. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, well, what, do you, what else am I going to say, Dave? I, yeah. I got nothing. You could throw in a Little Mermaid reference. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Christian yeah. Anderson, Foam on the Sea, all that jazz. In TV, all the boring stuff, like Dragon Ball, Mew Mew Power, Pokemon, all that stuff, that gets shown. But the biggest TV company showed Last Exile in English, with Danish subtitles. Hmm. But they stopped showing it with four episodes left. In oh. English, English with Danish subtitles. That's so strange. It's Danish subtitles. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought maybe it's just people in other countries are much more willing to watch things subtitled because over here, no one wants to read the movie. Perhaps just... um, that the there's a large portion of the Danish population that can speak English. That might be true. Right. I, I mean, I just find it interesting that if they were going to watch it subtitled, that they would put the English with subtitles as opposed to Japanese with subtitles. They're probably dealing with whoever owns Last Exile here in the States. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Probably. And he continues, on DVD, Fruits Basket, Samurai Deeper Kyo, Kino's Journeys, Evangelion, stuff like that have been released, even though the releases themselves aren't that impressive. These DVDs cost about $25 US. There's also a website showing free legal anime. There's only one series there, though. Zion. Oh, I wish you were here. <laughs> the idea when you show people anime for free is that you want people to care and want to see more. Yeah. You don't say, here's something free. Take the worst thing possible. that will make you never want to watch anime again. You get what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> Zion. Ugh. There is one Danish anime convention. Its name is J-PopCon. started in 2000. It's still running today. I have a few questions. I'm not so good at English, so bear with me. What are your thoughts on Holic and Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl? And then you've talked about how anime gets licensed, but how does manga get licensed? I'll be very grateful if you answer my questions. Daniel, by the way, Gerald sounds like Jamie from Mythbusters. What the hell? <laughs> Maybe I'm the Danish Jamie from, Mythbust from Mythbusters. Well, Holic and, and Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl. Has anybody here read Ho Holic? Clarissa, you're the clamp resident person. Oh, triple X Holic? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's pronounced Holic. The three X's are silent. It's <laughs> <laughs> always ridiculous, so I just say triple X Holic anyway. I haven't gotten around to reading that one, actually. It's basically turn A clamp, right? A um, joke that you can only understand. Yes, if... <laughs> I haven't really gotten to that one. Because it seems like that, and what's the other one? Subasa Chronicles? Yeah, that's yeah. just all the other characters from everything they did. Okay, so I thought that was what Triple X Holic was as well. I thought it was no. just, hey, let's um, take everyone and throw them in a story together. Well, Holic and Subasa are connected, but I believe that Holic 
follows its own original cast of characters uh. more so than Subasa, which is kind of the remixed versions of all those different characters thrown together. Has Clamp run out of ideas? Yeah. Did Clamp have ideas? <laughs> hey. So yeah, Kashimashi, Girl Meets Girl. Gerald, this sounds like a Gerald show. You tell me about <laughs> it. I think I watched two episodes of it and it was so awful. What's the premise of it? Um, if I remember correctly, it was some school that was only girls, and it was like three different schools, they all had different uniforms, this girl goes in and then is entranced by this other girl, it's like... It's You're talking I about Strawberry Panic, you fail! Yeah, oh. I thought this you Girl Meets Girl thing was fail. about a guy who turns into a girl. Oh God shit, I got it, Gerald! Oh, shit, Gerald. I got them mixed up. No, you fail, Gerald. Shut up. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. So, that, wasn't, that was a shitty show, too. Yeah, Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl. I haven't watched very much of it myself. I've only also watched a couple episodes. Kashimashi Girl Meets Girl is about a guy who gets accidentally killed by aliens, and they basically revive him, but when they bring him back, they bring him back as a woman. Your typical kind of lame gender switch comedy, like, lol, he's got boobs now, ensues. And this is a 13-episode show? Yeah. yeah. See, and they then... made one episode of Ursa Yatsura based off of that yeah, premise, yeah. and that's about as far as they yeah. got with it. Well, it's Renosuke like... was a funny character. Too. I wanted to check it out, because, you know, oh, very I meant the shows one where... are... I didn't mean Ryonosuke, I meant the episode where they literally shot Atsuri with a gun that turned him into a girl. Oh, yeah. And then, of yeah. course, Ryonosuke's mm. dad is enthralled at this concept, so he... <laughs> tries to get the gun for himself and of course the usual <laughs> hijinks come in where you know Atsuru's taking his shirt off and his mom walks in right. realizes that he's got a rack and is infuriated <laughs> that he kept this secret from her all this time and that's what I love about Ursa Atsuru is that all the characters are funny yeah yeah all of them are except for Lum nuts. but she's, yeah Lum's not funny but she's everybody else is great of no. course naturally the Japanese being what they are Lum's the only character anyone remembers but well, she's yep. a glamour gal yeah mm -hmm. yeah well she wore a tiger strike bikini pretty so, much you know. I pretty much just accepted her presence as being the one who got the ball rolling for the actual funny characters to do things right. catalyst catalyst yeah we got catalysts yeah. and Chekhov's gun and all kinds of other faux intellectualism. I would have been cool with more Ray and less Lum. Mm. He's funny. Anyway. They're funny. Yeah. yeah. They're funny. Kashimashi, like, I don't know. I had hopes for it because I heard people saying good things about it, and Yuri series are kind of few and far between. But it didn't really seem like anything special, and it's like a love triangle situation, and one of the love interests was really annoying. So, I don't know. I'm missing a whole lot with that. No, Probably not. <clears throat> I don't know, did anybody else out there watch the whole show? Is it just as terrible as the first few episodes? Yuri fans, come on. If anybody sat through the whole thing, let us know. Uh, here's another one I've been meaning to read for a long time. We actually, a long time ago, we requested that people maybe send in some reviews of shows that maybe we haven't caught or didn't talk too much about. And... I guess we didn't get too many submissions, and I guess the reason is because is the few people who sent in submissions, we didn't read them. <laughs> hmm. So, this one is from Erwin Rosales, who is a long-time listener. He writes in and leaves comments for us a lot. And he, a long time ago, had written in and submitted two reviews. One was for Saint Seiya, and one was for Captain Tsubasa. And the reason I didn't read them was because they were very long, and I said, hey, why don't you put these up? on a website and we'll give people the link to it and he did that and sent us the link and then I just forgot to ever read it so here's the link to that Captain Tsubasa review that Erwin wrote it's 
chronocrossxp.blogspot.com. We'll put a link up in the show notes. And I guess since it's been an hour, we should probably say our website is animeworldorder.com. <laughs> For those of you who may not have found this show through that means, and you can go there and check out our very extensive show notes on all sorts of things. Of course, some people who are horrible monsters and we pray for their deaths make it a point of honor to never go to the website and never read our comments. Shame. Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? Horrible people. Fail to do such a thing. Loser iTunes users. Yep. Which accounts for 70% of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh, well. And in just in case you guys get to read this on the podcast, Gerald's voice sounds like Akio Otsuka. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you no, so much. No, he does not. That, that no, is the he best doesn't. compliment ever. I'm no, no, he doesn't. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely not. Readers Sorry. Are, is right. The listeners no. are right. So. No, uh, no, no. Definitely Sam the Eagle. Yeah, Sam the Eagle. And Butthead. Where, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Erwin also wrote in response to my giant robo review where I'd said, hey, people, go out and watch this thing now that it only costs, like, $15 for the whole series on DVD. It's a great deal. Everyone should buy it. He said, I watched Giant Robo. When I watched it the first time, I was in awe because the animation is truly clean and beautiful. Also, its music was outstanding. Did they use computer animation on this, or was it drawn by hand? It's as f- best as I can tell. The whole thing was done by hand. It was yeah. finished. It was the last episode of it, I believe, came out right before the big boom. Before ends. the big switch over to CG was. Yeah. So, best I can tell, Giant Robo is entirely hand-drawn cell animation. Mm-hmm. He said, I had to watch it for a second time, it was that good, and I had to watch it again. You guys said it was slow at first, but the first episode to me truly exposed a lot of information, and I didn't want to miss anything. Did you say it was slow? What I said in the review was that a lot of my friends told me that they thought the first two episodes were slow. And very they're long. Lame. Mm. They're lame. <laughs> lame. They don't yeah, know what they're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I liked it throughout. But he says, another thing I don't understand is, why was this show not popular even in Japan? Ginrei is there, what else do Japanese otaku want? Well, the answer, Erwin, is all Japanese otaku wanted was Ginrei. You want to yeah. try and find merchandise for Giant Robo, all it is is, is, is stuff of the girl. There's good luck finding Magnificent Ten stuff, yeah. good luck finding Murasame Kenji Kusamu. stuff. Yeah, all that. They did do, like, this big release way back then of, like, a resin kit, which of course means there was 200 printed up yeah. of everybody. Right. But of course, again, that's resin kits. So I've seen mm-hmm. some toys of the robot. Of yeah, robot. the robot yeah. as well. But just Robo, not the other robots. Tell you, there's um, a Japanese friend of mine who's a little older than me, and when Giant Robo came out, the animation came out, she remembered the live action show from the 60s, mm. and she couldn't stand it. Mm. She's like, there's no way I'm watching this. I hated that show. And then she explained, no, 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 it's, it's not like that. It's much better. And once she actually saw it, she really enjoyed it. But I think there may be a lot of Japanese who um, remember that live-action show and thought it sucked. Do you think that this would be a situation like if they came out with a really high-budget, like, Superbug or something? <laughs> and, yeah. And, <laughs> and then everyone who watched the show, Superbug, would... It would, it would, just... it would be like a really um, land of the lost <laughs> that had a lot, like, took characters from every Sid Marty Croft show and was really well-made, you know? Right. Mm. When I'm sick and have a really high fever, uh, that's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, Erwin... Yeah, uh, would be like that. I think a lot of people say, well, Landon Lost, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. So yeah, Erwin continues, I just don't understand. There's enough good characteristics of this show to attract fanboys and some fangirls. Anyhow, this show is great. You're totally right. It's way better than Advent Children. 
I don't know if I said that, but yeah, I won't lie. I bought Advent Children, to tell you the truth. I was surprised the first time I saw it on the net. But when I bought it, I just watched it again. I just fell asleep. I realized I bought cutscenes of a video game. <laughs> so yeah, Giant Robo is great. Now it's cheap enough. I bought it for $18 after shipping from RightStuff.com. In my opinion, right this is truly the perfect collection. Comes with the OAVs, the Ginray special, and all that. Hope you guys are doing okay. Take care. Minus that stupid eye. Oh, yeah. Well, when the set that's $18, yeah, that's, that's what the, I mean. the yeah. brick. Yeah. He's wondering why the show isn't more popular. When did that first come out? 1994? But it was never even that popular <clears throat> then. Well, that's the thing. You know, it's like, A, it's it's 12 years old. B, it took a long time for them to yeah. get through them all. Right. so it slow. Sort of, yeah, we were really... A release. Yeah. That was the slow, was waiting for the next one to come out. And, that and then was it the wraps up, and there's, there's uh, Babel 2. Right. There's not nearly enough Sally the Witch in that, i got to say. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, once again, just like the Fantastic Children thing, I really think that Giant Robo wasn't popular because people look at that art and say, ooh, looks bad, because it uses very faithful to True. Yokoyama's character designs, mm-hmm. and it's got that look it Im- to it. And it that look just ain't... It improves greatly upon his character design. Oh, I think so, too. I think mm-hmm. the animation yeah. is fantastic, but I know people look at it and say, oh, it's animated badly because they don't like how these people look. And the same thing goes for the new Tetsujin 28, which is also made by you know, the yeah, people who made Giant one. Robo. Yeah. And I think that show is pretty good. I like it a lot. And I'll I probably think... be reviewing it once I get the final disc. Yeah, I think the same thing happened with, like, Cyborg 009, probably, and Kikaider. And if you want to yeah. talk about Cyborg 009, yeah. you got Dave right here. That's right. Well, I really like that Kikaider show, too. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I really enjoy, because the, the live action show is, you know, God knows how many episodes. And this is like, we're just going to condense it down. And, you know, here's all the salient points. We don't have to see him beat up those guys every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of wasn't sure about Kikaider, because like, I remember catching a couple episodes of Kikaider on Cartoon Network. And every time I would flip by and catch it, it was all... I'm a robot, and I'm emo, and I have a guitar. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Woo! And but then that was kind of it, and I was like... If you don't like so that, was, you're not going to like Kikaider. Ah, uh, hmm. Now, I will, I will say that the, the TV boats. show has got some... It was made at that point when everything had to be in uh, CG, and the CG animation looks real bad. It's a little, yeah, it's a little... Mm. But it's such a good show, and we'll do a review of it at some point. No, Kikaider is all about how terrible it is. It was, it was awesome. Uh, I don't want to say all of Ishinomori's work is like this, but most of... A theme he uses a lot is, I have been turned into a robot. Weep for me. You yeah. Know? So, <laughs> yeah. if you can't get past that, you're going to have a hard time. Because that's Cyber 009, you know. Right. No, I like 009, and in fact, I wish that the release here hadn't sucked because I want to rewatch it. On that subject, yes. I just got a message from someone. Oh? Cyborg 009 was just released on DVD in Australia. The first 25 episodes are on DVD, and so that's a legal way of getting it. There is a now, drawback is... to it, and the drawback is that it's across three discs, so it's about eight or nine episodes per disc, and then there's three 5.1 audio tracks, so it's kind of compressed to hell, but... What other way is there to see Cyborg 009? This is hmm. the new... The new, the new one series? from 2001, yeah. yeah. We're not talking about the 1968 TV series or the 1979 no, 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 the TV new series? One. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of 009 or remakes. The 1966 there's film. Or Super Galaxy. <laughs> or or yeah. Legend, Legend of the Super Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. It's so, yeah, so this boring. is the, the new series. Which only three people in the world watched. Yeah. Daryl myself. You know what was crazy was, you know, when that show came on the air suddenly, oh my god, here's a live journal community for fan fiction writers of Cyborg yeah. 009 in the States. I'm like, holy cow, I've been dreaming of this day for 15 years. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll have to look for that one. Well, it's probably I, gone by now. I know. went browsing through a bunch of the Japanese fan art sites, which they had some pretty cool stuff in there, but... There, there's and it's obviously I was going to say it's had a, it had a fandom for years and years and years and years. Yeah. It's and this obviously shows that, that Australia's very cool to have that release there. Yeah. Australia got a lot of Japanese stuff that just never made it to the States. Toei's first animated TV show was called Ken the Wolf Boy. And that was dubbed into English, but never shown here. It was shown in Australia. Huh. Hmm. I think the guy who and worked on Ken the Wolf Boy comes to Animazement each year. Nobody knows who he is. Oh, the director. Yeah, well, a lot of people got their start working on the show, including Heo Miyazaki. And he also worked on the 68 Cyborg 009 series. Really? I didn't huh. mention the... The final episode totally references that um, in the 64 presidential campaign, LBJ had, an, had the famous Daisy ad that had a little girl pulling, you know, doing the, sitting in a field with flowers right. intercut mm -hmm. with the H-bomb, and they totally ripped that off <laughs> in that episode of Cyber Exerzer. Now, do you know if Miyazaki did his patented craziness and uh, then at the last episode threw it all out and then reanimated the entire thing himself? Probably and, not. Um, <laughs> he probably didn't have that kind of clout at that point. Okay. Because I believe he's done that at least once. What's what? He's he's a kook. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a kook. That guy's kooky. We got another email by Kikazu, and uh, this one is actually very interesting. She writes, "Hello, Konnichiwa, Daryl-san, Clarissa-san, and Gerald-san. My name is Mikikazu. I'm a Japanese who lives in Osaka, Japan. Probably this is not the first email from my country." Anyway, I still want to tell you that I'm a big fan of your podcast. I really love it. You guys really doing a great job, even for the eyes of Japanese. I'm always amazed by Gerald-san's deep examination of anime manga, Clarissa-san's rich knowledge about Shota... <laughs> God damn it, Gerald! <laughs> no, no, you can just leave that. Um, I should just leave that. But yeah. Clarissa-san's rich knowledge about Shoujo and Yoi, and Daryl-san's, uh, well, cool, cool jokes. All right, listen... Now, th this email has made me throw down the gauntlet and made me realize something. Number one, the entire internet needs to understand. I'm the smartest of all three of these people, okay? It's just that I'm such a grandmaster at my kung fu that I hide it and never use my kung fu art and spend all my time talking about important things like bow and such. But no, uh -huh. I'm a super genius, all right? Uh -huh. Far, far more than Gerald and Clarissa. And in turn, my intellect is unmatchable. And, and I'll, uh, I'll have to prove that from now uh -huh. on. If you uh, no, really. if you I'll go to our flyers, you'll notice that Daryl is the liar, by the way. So, to keep that in mind. I lie about being not smart. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I want to let you know that there are some Japanese anime fans who listen to your podcast frequently. I have my own weblog, and sometimes I introduce what you're talking about to the Japanese readers. Because your podcast is worthy enough, make it international. I wonder if you could please say hello to your Japanese audience, in Japanese if possible. Onegaishimasu. So, that is all for now. Keep doing this nice job. Konnichiwa, minasan. <laughs> I am and always will be your supporter in the land of the rising sun. Bye, matane. And so, well, thanks to her help, uh, we actually know exactly how to say that now. Now, for all of our listeners in Japan, watch me skewer your language. Nihonde Anime World Order. Okita iru minasan, konnichiwa. That's like how Texas Mac from Shin Getarobo versus Neo Getarobo would... Or Jack King, I'm sorry. You know, the best part about being an anime fan is the only Japanese you learn are, are things like launch the missile and damn you. <laughs> you really, fool. what else do you need to know? Yeah, I think, Clarissa, since you're the one with the Japanese knowledge, you have to make up for Gerald's Jack King-like <laughs> pronunciation. No, 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 Gerald wanted to read it. Yeah. That's true. I'm David Meru.
you have to the, the, when you speak Japanese, you have to pretend like you're you're about 45. You're a salary man. You've had a lot of cigarettes. <coughs> it's about 11:30 on a Sunday morning. You're you know working on your hangovers. Like, oh no, that's the best way to do it. Or yeah. Daisuke Gauri like, and then you have to yell and scream. <laughs> no, then you just make random noises. He doesn't even yeah. talk. He just Daisuke goes like, Gauri. Hey. Daisuke Gauri, I'll have you know, is the forerunner and inventor of the phrase Hidebu when you explode. <laughs> and for that, he is to be immortalized. Actually, no, the true story behind that is that Duranson's handwriting was so bad that that's how people read it. And that's what's yeah. stuck. All what right. was it supposed to be? I forget. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Oh. <laughs> Daryl, not remembering something about Fist of the North Star? I think I'm, I'm lying shocked. about being smart. Or about being um, not um, smart. Okay. I like the wit and wisdom of Kinshiro, which is either you're already dead, or this grave is too small, I hope you fit in it. Or, you know, <laughs> you've lived too long. That's a good one. Yeah. That's like 90% Doesn't exactly of have lines. a wide repertoire. That's really all I'd need, too. He's not in that show to talk. Yeah. He's not there to be witty. No. He's there to kill people. That's right. And look, Luckily, you know, he was really lucky that that nuclear war happened because had that nuclear war not happened, he'd just be some muscle-bound idiot. Yeah. <laughs> As it is, he can use his powers for good. Hey, no, in, in Fist of the Blue Sky, which they're about to make an anime out of, it's yep. all about Kenshiro in the 1930s beating up the Chinese mobsters. You're kidding. <laughs> yes. And no, there is a nutty. There is a character in there who I, I forgot his name, but uh, he is a mobster who has a uh, wig that is made out of, I think it's steel. So Yeah, his toupee is made out of solid metal, and anyone yes. who questions that his toupee is not his real hair is killed. Yes. Wait a minute, this, is, this is something about like the virtuous Japanese beating up the evil Chinese in the 1930s? No, no, no. It, it's basically it's about how Ken's you know, uncle or something like that, who happens to also be named Ken and look exactly, exactly. like him, <laughs> so they can have this story take place in the 1930s. He's Chinese himself. Oh, okay. Not one of those virtuous Japanese go over to China to liberate them in the liberation the of Nanking. East Asian co-prosperity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing like that. It's just we oh, want to tell a story about gangsters that explode. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a good lock on their target audience. Oh, yeah. I'll and the character designs look terrific. I'll be there with bells on once that <laughs> starts airing. Yes. And speaking of that, we've got another email here. This one's from Nick, a.k.a. The Last Otaku. He writes, Success Story of Anime. Hey, Anime World Order, it's Nick again. I'd like to share my success story of how I grew out of the harem fan service Naruto-type shows I used to idolize and favoritize. Two years ago, I was a part of that massive crowd of adolescent teenagers bound together by Naruto headbands and ninja daggers. Then, at the beginning of this year, I discovered podcasts. I instantly went searching for anime podcasts and found yours. I listened to an episode and decided it wasn't up my alley. But one day, I got daring and listened to the episodes about Golga 13 and Kazuo Koike. <laughs> From then on, the truth hit me. I discovered that I was a part of that crowd of annoying adolescent teenagers. I had to change and quick. I, had I to went out and searched. Well, yeah, and become a man indeed. I went out and searched of shows you talked about on your show. And after I'd watched stuff like the Kazuo Koike and Meizani Kokus out there, I then knew that a lot of the older stuff I was was actually better than most of the things I was watching now. Then Anime Central 2006 came along and I went, praying to find something better than Naruto and Bleach. Couldn't find it. 
I knew then how much of a loudmouth dumbass I was being, and decided I would never go back to that time. I now have hung up my Naruto headband as a memento as to what I was, and what I shall never go back to being. <laughs> and also my box set of Giant Robo and Goga 13 manga to remind myself of how enlightened I am as opposed to what I was. Thanks for reading this email. Love the show, keep it up. Best regards, Nick. Kick ass. One yeah. down, 100,000 to go. <laughs> That's right. Funny how, like, people have the impression that we absolutely hate Naruto. I don't hate Naruto, but I do hate the idea of people walking around outside of anime conventions with Naruto headbands on. I, I don't... This is the new thing, like, walking around in the mall with your Naruto headband. That's, you know, hip, hip teen accoutrements. Yeah. We That's hate cool. filler in Naruto. Say that again, Clarissa. She said, we hate the filler in Naruto. And Bleach and One Piece. And I hate Naruto. It has Rock Lee. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's got Kabuto in it. Yeah, so, so the show should be about Rock Lee. It should be the Kabuto show <laughs> with Rock Lee as a secondary primary character. But, yeah, it, you know I, guess, I guess our podcast work is finished. We enlightened one person. Well, show's over. Show's over. See Go ya. <laughs> We're done Back here. Go home. Uh, so, Dave... You got yeah. some experience with these folks. Tell us, uh, having yourself been the chair of an anime convention for years and years and years, what sort of insight can you offer to that? To Naruto? No, no, to the uh, phenomenon the of the fact that anime being an entertainment medium for kids, we're finally at the point now where kids are really watching it and going we're, to conventions. We've finally reached the point where, where people... Who people should be who, watching this are. The, thing, the, the people that these things are intended for are actually watching them. What it's, a concept. <laughs> I know. For years we had this fandom that was based around kids' cartoons. These are not cartoons for college age or like college educated PhDs are the only people that can understand these shows. These so you mean to cartoons. say all those people saying that Sailor Moon is an adult drama That's right. are wrong? Sailor Dave? Moon is not <laughs> an adult drama. It is a children's TV show. And for years we had fandom that was thirty year old pudgy bearded white guys. Seriously, you go you look at photographs from any anime con from like nineteen ninety to about nineteen ninety five and it's gonna be pudgy white guys with glasses. It was adults who were watching, you know, it was a fandom who were watching children's shows, and now it's, it's children, it's teenagers, it's younger kids that aren't even teenagers yet, who are enjoying these shows that are made for them, you know. And it's one thing for, I, I think my interest in anime fandom largely was built around, these were shows I enjoyed when I was a child, and I would like to find out more about these shows, and more about the shows that are similar to these shows, or what I would have been watching if I'd lived in Japan when I was 10 and 11 or 12. Mm. Whereas, you know, now the anime fans are, if they're 12 years old now, they're watching Naruto, they're watching One Piece, they're watching Bleach, they're watching, you know, because you can get this stuff very easily. Right. And uh, finally they can go to a convention and buy Naruto headbands. They say, wow, this is cool. Because had, had I been able to buy, you know, Ultraman toys when I was six, I would have bought the hell out of Ultraman toys when I was six. <laughs> hmm. And that's what they're doing now. They're buying their toys. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So what do you have to say to these... 25-year-olders who are still watching giant robot shows and going wild over them. Well, like I'm, I'm, I'm like 37, <laughs> and I watch giant robot shows, and I don't want to say I go wild over them, but I enjoy them. But, I mean, people who are discovering them for the first time at 25. It's, I think it's an indictment of Western culture. that Not even Western culture, American culture. Because, you know, in France, they got yeah, Grandizer every day. They got Captain Harlock every day on TV in France. Yeah. In the 70s. Lucky bastards. We didn't get that here, you know? We're catching up. We are just now catching up with the rest of the world when it comes to cool Japanese cartoons. Hmm. So what we're, what we're undergoing right now is, is 
like growing pains. You know, we're 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 having to to go through thirty years of evolution in three years, in two years. Mm. So it's going to drive a lot of a lot of people. Their minds are not going to be able to take it seriously. The first time you go to an anime con, you go into the dealer's room and your brain just sort of shuts down. You know, that's yeah. what's going to happen to a lot of these people. It's going to be sad. Yeah. On the subject of that, you mentioned that we're catching up to the rest of the world. We got another email from Erwin about what anime fandom was like in Peru. Oh yes. And. Sure. Here's what he writes. He said, uh, I was listening to a marathon of about ten of your shows at once because I was uh, driving, you know, quite some time. He said he found himself reminiscent, found himself thinking about his own childhood back in Peru and how his interest in anime and manga started. This letter might be a little long. Depends on how sleepy he'll become. It might have started with Saturday morning cartoons. They had Cobra, Mazinger Z, Fantasmagorico, which is Golden Bat, and uh, El Vengador... Which can be translated to the Avenger, but it's actually Jig, Steel Jig. Mm. Uh, Future Boy Conan. <laughs> For some reason, there's a level in Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight that makes me remember that anime a lot. Must be the water. They also had Heidi, uh, Remy, and Marco. I guess Marco is, what, 3,000 Leagues in Search of Mother? I think that's um, what that I think is. There's also a Marco Polo cartoon that I Osama Dezaki worked on hmm. in the 70s. Hmm. So yeah, anyway, these anime were great, but alas, I was between 5 and 6, so my attention span was not that great. And it was in my teen years when I discovered how fortunate I was to have seen that stuff. Later in 1994 came Captain Tsubasa, or Super Campeones, Saint Seiya, Magic Knight's Ray Earth, and in 1995, Dragon Ball. Funny story about Dragon Ball, for a while it was on a very famous national TV station, but when it came to, I think you might have misspelled this, but he said Karen's Arc, there was no more for at least a year. So another broadcaster got the rest, Dragon Ball, then DBZ and GT, but no one broadcaster had all of it. So he had to go from channel to channel. The same year they had Slayers on TV, or in Spanish it's called Los Justicieros, which is do you, the one... Do, like, do you like Slayers? Oh, yeah. I'm not like Stan. Slayers. Is that a Stan <laughs> reference, Dave? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that translates that to the ones that spread justice. And he was in awe when he realized the true name. Then 1996, they got Sailor Moon. Then 1997, they had Street Fighter, Zanki, and Samurai X, a.k.a. Roni Kenshin. What he considers really impressive is that all these anime had a Spanish opening and ending. At the time, he was 14, he thinks. He was taking uh, classes in the Peruvian Arts Museum. And they went to the flea market, the biggest flea market in Peru, and they had the Spanish dubs from the Dragon Ball Z. They bought that, and they found a magazine. Two soles, which is about 75 cents, gets you a Coke and a hamburger back in 1997 in Peru. And the magazine they wanted was four. It was all about anime. It was called Sugoi. And the cover art was for Macross 7. Pages were in black and white, cheap paper, but it was great information for a, a newbie. And he said that's where he, people learned about what anime and manga was over in Peru. And it's all in Peruvian, and found he was surprised because their country is not exactly famous for producing magazines, especially one just about anime. And it came with a supplement called MangaCon, which was a compilation of a bunch of manga-like comics. I guess they weren't really manga. They were things people drew to kind of be like manga. It was Peruvo manga. Peruvo, per, yeah. <laughs> Peruanga. Peruanga. And he said, eventually the magazine became too big for its own good, and the magazine decided to form a club out of it. To be a member of the club, you had to be 13 at least, attend like the showings, and pay five soles each meeting. Wow. Which, I guess, that's a decent amount of money back then. There was no cosplaying at the meeting, not even a person wearing an anime t-shirt. At the most, I saw three girls there with washable Sailor Moon tattoos. Doors opened at noon. It took me 30 minutes just to get in. And then the very first showing, they showed Macross Plus. 
And then afterwards, the whole crowd stood up and clapped and cheered, and it was really cool. So, man, Peru sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> At least mm. back then. Then in one of the sessions, the president got a big Evangelion on the door that was like two stories tall. <laughs> Are there any photographs of that? I want to see this thing. Eventually, yeah. there were four meetings a month and four different groups, and then each important city in Peru had its own club. And thanks to the club, the magazine production took a lot more time and ended up becoming annual. He said he can't deny it's still a good magazine, but since there aren't any big corporations like the Funimations and the ADVs or whatever, it's not quite so biased. But I don't know how legal they are when it comes to the subtitles. Then again, I don't really know anything about the legality of copyrights in Peru. Here's a direct translation of what it says on the VHS. This is a fan production made by fans for fans. It's prohibited to rent, sell, copy, public exhibit this product in any money-making manner. All rights reserved to the original authors and products. The producing of the subtitles are public property of the people who made it. Which I guess is pretty much like what fan subs theoretically are supposed to be here, but in reality aren't quite... Split or auction it off. Or... Yeah. <laughs> I guess the club decided to create these subtitles because I guess most of the time you have to go first through Mexico to get to other Spanish-speaking countries. And to tell you the truth, he has no idea how much... That was how... Peruvian fandom was in 2000. Maybe now there's furries and people dressed as Naruto in the club. <laughs> anyway, that w that's how Peruvian fandom is. Uh, P.S. If you guys are interested about this magazine and want to know more, www.sugoi.com.pe. The website's in Spanish, but it's easy to navigate, and the creators of it speak English. So that's more Peru. Information on, more information on Peruvian anime fandom can be found on the internet. Yeah. Hmm. Like everything. As they say in Mark Trail comics. <laughs> That's why this says in Mark Trail, every more information on the bear can be found on the internet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ren. And I'm Scott. And we're the hosts of Geek Nights, the late night podcast for geeks. Four nights a week, we bring you the latest news and commentary from all schools of geekery. Mondays are science and technology nights. Tuesdays, we cover video games, board games, role-playing games, and all other games. Wednesdays, we bring you anime, manga, and comics. On Thursdays, we cover three diverse topics, including toys, violent movies, fanatical devotion to the Pope, and our popular long-running series on how to not suck. Four, four diverse topics. Check us out at www.frontrowcrew.com. Or search for us in your favorite podcast directory. Geek Nights is recorded live with no studio and no audience. But unlike all those other late shows, it's actually recorded at night. And after 30-some episodes, we have finally got our utterly insane email. Our first email from someone who has clinically just gone wrong. This is by Graveworm69. I'm gonna do my best at reading this. Thing. Yeah, the subject is DUDES! AWESOME! DUDES! It would bring me great joy to see clothed Futanari. I made a promise to God that I wouldn't look at porn anymore, and I broke it three times. I extremely enjoy Futanari, and I cannot find anything that doesn't have nude Futanari. Dude! Whoa! You'd please me greatly! God will take care of Bush, that bastard. He was in a satanic cult. Look up hand signs. He put bombs <laughs> underneath the Twin Towers. Serendipity.com will show you this. My God, what an article. Nothing to worry about. Live happy with many orgasms. Masturbation is not banned from Tebible. Hehe, <laughs> so awesome. 
Heard you live longer with these two tings. Hey, hey. Oh, man, my goodness, Futanari's wonderful. Wow, man, that would rock. I'm searching desperately. God bless you guys. This is... This is trying a little too hard. See, that is the appropriate <laughs> email for Gerald to read, because, you know... Yeah, it's all I'm about... insane? Right. Well, oh, thank you. And just to review, Futanaris are women with penises. Oh, chicks with dicks. Yeah. Fully functional in both aspects. Actually, no, I, I dare not invoke 4chan's wrath, because there's a hierarchical chart of the various types of... <laughs> transsexual. You know, I, I think it's great that they've taken what's normally a medical condition that causes pain and heartbreak and they've turned it into something wonderful. <laughs> I think that's great. What's wrong with Japan? Let's just go right into that. What's wrong with these people? They're crazy. They can't see the pink, Dave. <laughs> it's blurred out, so they have to get They're like nuts. you know they have to get something from other means, and so that's why everything that's wrong with Japan at all is because they can't I'll see tell the you, pink. That's why people think like anime is porn because the porn that is there is so nutty. Mm -hmm. That, oh my god, what is this? Oh, holy cow. It's the craziest. I mean, America porn is like, well, like, naked people, people loving sex. Japan, they just have to go crazy with it. Jeez, what is it, the water? I don't know. What's going on over there? <laughs> I don't know, man. What, are they mental? <laughs> what is up with those people? They're crazy. It's all those amphetamines. It's amphetamine. Well, you know, I think that's a large part of it. <laughs> I want to say that gender issues in Japan are... Uh, messed up, to use the clinical term. Yeah. And when Americans are exposed to this really insane Japanese, even the non-porn stuff, it's got attitudes that I think you need a little context to fully appreciate. Mm. And we're not getting that context when we get, right. you know, mm -hmm. the latest issue of Big Stroke Book for Men or whatever. <laughs> so, Courtesy of Peter Payne. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He is. Yeah. Won't deny him that. All right. We got another email from Israel Ruiz, and he writes, Hey, guys, I heard from a reliable source that Haim Saban is being charged with fraud. <laughs> I'm not sure of the details yet, but my source is very reliable. He works very close to the Saban family. I should mention that thanks to this person, I've been to the Saban Beverly Hills mansion. It's huge. The best rooms are the Japanese-style dining room and the arcade. The dining room has a small river flowing under it. That's all I had to say. Hope to give you an update as soon as possible. <laughs> made from the money of... Oh, wait, is this the guy that did Macron 1? Yeah, Haim Saban. Yeah, he yeah. made all his Macron 1 money. You know, that river is, is Macron 1 right there. That's I mean, right. He's... And now he's buying out, what was it, Univision? He really? Did... No kidding. Yeah, they had the, wow. the Spanish network up for yeah, you yeah. Know, sale, and Haim Saban swooped in. And said, yeah. You know, that's where I, I first saw Future Boy Conan was on Univision. Univision. Sponsored by... Post, which is Nutra Deliciosos. <laughs> I actually saw a lot of interesting anime on Spanish television. I saw um, mm. Saint Seiya and Zillion and Slam Dunk and El Caballeros <laughs> de Zodiacos. Dave, what do you think of the idea that the plot to Zillion was ripped off wholesale from Streets of Fire? Zillion? Yeah, or was it Zanki? No, he said Zillion. I, yeah, I, yeah. Th I thought we, we were like a Megazone 2 3 part deal with, with Streets of Fire. Mm. I couldn't tell you because A. I've seen maybe three episodes of Zillion, and B, I have never seen the film Streets of Fire. Oh, wow. I'm sadly lacking in my appreciation of mid-80s cheese, yeah, American yeah. crappy rock and roll soundtrack. Michael, yeah. was it Michael Paré that's in that movie? Yep, that's it. Michael Paré and Rick Moranis. And Rick Moranis is in Streets of Fire? He is. That guy's the hardest working man in show business. <laughs> you know what More he does than now? Ernest he, Miller. 
you know what he does now? He's a country singer now. He just released a country record. I know Steve Harrison's really big in Streets of Fire. Yeah, yeah. He's always finding the Streets of Fire parallels between anime. And it was Bubblegum Crisis, wasn't it? Yeah, Bubblegum Crisis ripped off the opening to Streets of go. Fire. And you can actually, if you go Not into... Not Blade like, Runner. No, no, Streets of Fire. That's... The opening. I well, say. they ripped off a lot of Blade Runner, too. Yeah. They did. It's pretty blatantly, too. If you actually can actually watch the trailer for Streets of Fire online, and they have that opening in there, and it's very, very similar. Yeah. I still love Bubblegum Crisis to death, but yeah. Bubblegum Crisis for me, when that came out, I, I think I made a conscious decision to not get a copy of that. Because I knew that I was going to have to make copies of that for everybody in the world, and I just didn't want to bother with it. Yeah, because back then, <laughs> to put things in perspective, there was a time when, Dave, you were like the only guy with a copy of Project Aiko and Akira and stuff. Right? I had to copy. Well, I wasn't, the, yeah, I was like the only guy in town with Akira. Me and a guy named Scott Weikert started the Atlanta Anime Club in 1985. Because we were trading tapes, the people we had the most tapes. I copied Project Echo must have been 40 or 50 times. Actually, Weikert knew a guy who found out the release date of Akira and called some complete stranger in Japan and said, I'm going to send you money, buy me this movie, and mail it to me. And the guy, <laughs> and the the guy, guy came that. through. Wow. So Akira wow. showed up. A total stranger? Uh, that's the story I heard. Wow. So yeah, here's Akira. I must have seen that movie a hundred million zillion times. I want to hear more about the Atlanta. <laughs> was this club the era when you were still doing the whole CFO? This was the CFO. This was CFO Atlanta. You didn't have to name the club <laughs> after a spaceship and give you oh, guys oh, ranks. No, no, that was the Earth Defense Command. Please, please tell us about this. I was fascinated when I heard this. I want to say I was going to these cons. I went to the Atlanta Fantasy Fair in 1983, and A, there was a guy there dressed as Deslock, which blew my mind. And B, I found a flyer for that said, Star Blazers fans, the EDC wants you. And it was a fan club run by a guy named Derek Wakefield out of Texas who started this fan club. And it was based around, it was the way they were doing Star Trek clubs at the time, which was mm -hmm. each chapter would be a warship in right. the fleet. And, and there'd be a captain know, and then all the, yeah. Yeah, everybody would assume military ranks. And I didn't care. I just wanted an anime club. I wanted to get the zine and read fan fiction about Star Blazers. <laughs> Could not care less about the nomenclature. So... I got put in charge of the southeastern chapter of that, which was had like five people in it because people were not knocking down the door to join the military fan club organization. It's not a good selling point. You get to be a captain. They don't care. They want the tapes. You know? And at the same time, we started a local club, which was an anime club, and we knew of the CFO. So we said, well, obviously, it's got to be a CFO. We had to plug ourselves into the existing network. We couldn't just do it ourselves. Later, we said, no, we're going to do this ourselves. We had CFO Atlanta, and we would swap tapes with people. We copied a bunch of tapes, and at the same time, we had this EDC thing going on. And they published a zine every year called Nova. And Derek Wakefield, at the time, his, and I'm not sure the exact legal ramifications, but his common-law wife was, at the time, named Kelly Wakefield. And everybody, Derek Wakefield is not his real name. Everybody in Dallas fandom had crazy fan names because they came out of <laughs> science fiction-type fandom. This is where anime fandom comes from. It comes out of the nerdiest, <laughs> lamest, basement-dwelling, model-kit-building, Usenet-using... Hey, yeah, but, also, I, but all those people, by those people, modern anime fandom doesn't really have that tradition. The torch is being carried <laughs> exactly. by tokusatsu fandom. That's exactly. where all those people still are. <laughs> Holy... Boy, you're not kidding. Look, I was Tell, tell us about some stories about Spectre-Man and people wanting copies of that shit. <sighs> Collect call, the collect call bandit. You get a collect call at your house and somebody you don't know, don't 
accept the charges. Because it'll be this <laughs> insane guy, and every time he gets out of the asylum, he gets his copy of the 1987 CFO membership directory and he starts calling people at random. Will you send me free copies of whatever it is you have? <laughs> I can't spend any money. You'll have to send it to me for free. No, but what happened was Derek Wakefield's common law wife started Project Akon, and that came out of the EDC in Texas. So, the so first that's why anime- Project Akon is so miserable a place to be. <laughs> I don't know why it's miserable now. I haven't been to one in seven years. Can't say, haven't been, don't know. But the first Akons I went to were awesome because it was 1990, and it's like, oh, my God, there are other anime fans in the world. We can all get together and do it ourselves. We don't have to show cartoons at comic book shows anymore. Because literally, the people at the science fiction conventions hated Japanese cartoons. Still hated do. them. They still do. <laughs> Seriously, I hate that bug-eyed Jap shit. So you decided we... to actually take that idea to heart. Well, That's right. Tell us about what led to AWA and how good the Castlegate is. Castlegate is wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's attained a state of perfection because it no longer exists. It's so raised in our memories, it will always be perfect. It's been destroyed. <laughs> no, actually, we had CFO Atlanta, and then they had a big reorganization of the CFO, which led to it being destroyed as a national organization. So we basically quit running any sort of anime club for about a year. And then a year later, me and Lloyd Carter said, well, let's start another anime club. We'll call it Anime X. We won't be part of any national thing. We'll just have an anime club. And that was 1990. 1994... We had a party, and a bunch of people came from out of town. I actually did a party, and Derek Kozlowski also threw a similar party where a bunch of his friends came from out of town. And we both said we're able to organize these big events featuring people coming from out of town. Why don't we start an AnimeCon? We had had experience running a convention in 1991 and 92 called Phenomicon, which was sort of a kooky UFO conspiracy uh, <laughs> sort of thing. And you think anime fans are annoying. Those U- the UFO kooks... Oh, man. Supremely annoying, because they're the most gullible motherfuckers in the <laughs> face of the earth. Uh, yeah. So you can stand them as if you're making money off of them. So we said, well, 1994, let's say, well, what the hell? Let's start an anime con. First year, we did about 350 people. We were at the Castle Gate, which was this gigantic, sprawling, ugly edifice on the north side of Atlanta that every convention either started at the Castle Gate or went there to die. And <laughs> they would have Indian weddings... They'd have record shows. They'd have the, the pot hemp people would have their festivals there. It just had a lot of space, and they really didn't care what you did with it. Honestly, the, the staff... Because you could wreck the place. and You could wreck the place. Seriously. Wow. I mean, when I say wreck the place, I mean break things. <laughs> Physically break things. So it was a really fun place to be, and after our first year there, we said, well, we're never coming back here again. <laughs> So the second year we were down by the airport, and AWA 3 and 4 was at a really great facility, uh, Marriott, that's sort of centrally located on the east side of town, which is a really nice place. We just outgrew it. And we were in Gwinnett for five, and at six we were um, near Perimeter Mall, if you know anything about Atlanta. Yeah, that, that was kind of But we outgrew a... that place, and seven and eight we were down at the, the Sheraton Gateway and the Inter- International Congress Center down there. Mm-hmm. Which, they said they were going to tear it down, and I don't think they've torn it down yet. Yeah, because I remember you'd said, oh, we're, we're going to move to the Waverly because this place isn't yeah. going to exist. Yeah, and, and actually they housed some Katrina refugees there. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't, it, some disaster. It's a great big <laughs> edifice. Then we moved to the Waverly and the Galleria Convention Center, which is a wonderful facility, and I wish we'd moved there sooner. They treat us right, they love to have us, we love being there. 
work really well with everybody there. And we're able to expand into the Galleria Convention Center, which has a lot of space that we haven't even touched yet. Maybe next year people will say, I hate these Japanese cartoons. I don't want to go to your stupid con anymore. And the membership starts shrinking. We just shrink back down into the Waverly. Here's my question, Dave. I heard from a guy on the Internet that... That guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy on the Internet. I'm going to have to get real hardcore investigative journalism on you. What do you do with your AWA millions, Dave? What did I do with what my AWA millions? What do you do with millions? your AWA millions? That's right. I'm we on to you. invested in high-yield bond funds. No, seriously, <laughs> we spend every penny of that stupid money. It all comes in before the show, and then we all spend it, and we pay our bills, and then it's gone. And if we haven't spent all our money, I've said this before, it's like being in a war or being in a big battle, and at the end of the battle, you're like, well, did I use all my resources effectively? I still have some shells left over. Maybe I could have killed some more of those guys. Actually, the problem with money at AWA is when you're at a hotel, you fill your room block, you get your meeting space for free. But when you're at the convention center, they don't have hotel rooms. So all that is cash. You have to pay for that. And it costs a lot of money to get those big rooms. And you have to rent all your chairs. You have to rent all your tables. You have to rent all your, your AV equipment. All that costs money. It's oh, really so AWA doesn't own its own AV equipment? And like some... We've got some speakers. We've got Gordon, our technical guy, Gordon Waters, is uh, he builds speakers for a living, so he really enjoys building speakers. So we've got some pretty awesome speakers. But we have a lot of uh, amps and things we've got from thrift stores and what have you. But the big projectors, we have to rent those. The stuff in the main events room, lights and everything, that's all rental. So when Peander Z smashes it. one with a baseball bat? <laughs> yeah, if, if someone smashes that with a baseball bat, then uh, we have to pay for it. Yeah, I see. So, you know, I wouldn't own it. No, I just had to make sure because, you know, your AWA millions, that uh, you guys were living off the fat of the land. That's right. Because you don't like cosplay and you say bad things well, about I, people. Well, I don't. But I get around that problem of not liking cosplay by, by not, not going, going to, to the costume contest. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll tell you why. It's like 1995. 80, no, I'm sorry. So this would be 1999 at AWA 5. Where you had to... Oh, good. Yeah, I remember that. I was on stage for three flipping hours reading these dumbass character names in terrible handwriting. All these retard costumers were, well, I want to be first in line. Oh, wait, I've changed to 15th. I'm going to go on with these people. My brother was coming out every two minutes with, okay, oh, these people aren't going on. These people are going on. All these skits are meaningless, retarded. Amateur, childish, uh, it's like watching a school play. Didn't you sit through a, I, I don't know if this is true or not, Daryl told it to me, so it's probably a lie, but there was a skit that you had to sit through involving Dragon Ball Z having How a... How many skits? Well, uh, millions, millions of Dragon Ball Z skits featuring one... grown men waving their hands in the air as if they're shooting magical force beams. <laughs> now, you know, when two-year-olds do that, it's pretty cute, but when 25-year-olds do it, you're like, dude, you're retarded. So you had to sit through multiple fireball yeah. fights on stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought this was just one notorious one. Oh, no, 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 it's lots of them. Because no. the reason I know about this is because Neil Nadelman had actually <laughs> videotaped the proceedings. I know, it's like, this is retarded. And I had brought a VCR with me to the convention, and so he'd, I'd requested or I'd offered to transfer from his camcorder to actual tape. And so I'd gotten to see Dave enjoying the time of his life, saying like, Jesus. you know, Next Thank up, God, from the land of Xeno Gears, whatever. I don't know what yeah. these shows are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should have just started making shit up. This is from <laughs> Super Bloody Hyper Cosmo Mega Death Extravaganza X23. Yeah. 
<laughs> forgot the this hyper. is also from some show I've never heard of. Yeah. I'm sorry, these people can't write. Their penmanship is terrible. I'm expected to read these crazy, fake, made-up foreign words in illegible handwriting? I don't think so. So, uh, AWA uh, 5 costume contest was a terrible disaster for everybody involved. And I said this to Stan, who was in charge of events. And I said, I am never, ever going to do this again, ever. I don't care what you do with the costume contest. I am not going to be involved. I will be in the hot tub. They got rid of skits, and that was not my recommendation. I said, I don't give a shit what you do. I'm not going to be involved. You, know, you can do whatever you want. I don't have to watch it. So they got rid of the skits, and everyone complains. Well, Dave got rid of the skits. It's like, dude, I didn't do anything. I got rid of me. I removed what was irritating me from the proceedings. You know. It's been seven wonderful years. I've not seen a costume contest since then. My plans go well. I will never again see a costume contest. I never saw a costume contest in my life until AFO, <laughs> which just happened. Or they uh, decided that was I your should first judge. Costume contest? Yeah, yeah. They decided I should judge it. Oh, oh, and if you want to see a really cool cosplayer, Otaku Unite, which actually has Dave Merrill on it. Right. What was that line that made you famous, Dave? In Otaku Unite? What is it? The Star Trek is for geeks? Yeah, yeah. Geeks watch Star Trek. Anime fans are human beings or something. That's right. Regular yeah. people watch anime. Well, it's true. Is that true now, considering what true. kind of people are showing up to anime? I'll grant you that there are more idiots and retarded behavior at anime cons, but... There are more people in general at anime cons. So the percentage is going to remain the same, but the actual per capita idiot is going to be higher, if I'm using those figures correctly. Yeah, you got to see that in pretty clearly at Otakon and things like that. How was, were there some retards at Otakon? Same percentage, just <laughs> 25,000 people. See, and the problem is, is these are all 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, and this is what they do for fun. This is their fun thing. We're all coming, the people that run anime cons, we're sort of coming out of this science fiction convention mentality where cons oh, are these 2,000, 3,000 people. Everybody knows mm -hmm. their little things they're doing. You know, we have all these rituals that we do. Suddenly, we're, we've got this massive influx of people that don't know all our rituals, you know. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not a question of asking people, like, well, you have to learn all our crazy 1982 rituals of this is how we do things here in the con suite. But I, no. I think, that, on the other hand, there are standards of behavior that need to be enforced. Yeah, no. that can cause a lot of problems. I know that that's been a big thing in online fandom, even in Western fandom, media fandoms and such, that now with the Internet, people kind of stumble into it. Yeah. Where yeah. Before, back in the days of you know, smaller cop and zines, you kind of had to be introduced. But now you can do a Google search and just kind of stagger mm -hmm. in. I've seen people cause gigantic flame wars and really piss people off and almost bring down subsections of fandom just because they fuck up out of complete ignorance of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. W the way things kind of work. Hi, I'm Ichigo. I'm Balto. And we're Anime Pulse. We got our fingers on the pulse of anime. Do you like anime but you don't know what to watch? We love anime and watch it all the time. So if you want the true fans' perspective on the latest and greatest in Japan, rants, discussions, or stories about anime, then we're the ones to check out. So check out Anime Pulse at www.anime-pulse.com. Hey, you kids! What are you doing on my lawn? Oh, snap! It's old man Chigo! We better run for it! Run! I also heard, no. Dave, that AWA is out to destroy all fun. All fun? Yes. By having <laughs> rules against signs and having rules oh, against right. things like that's panhandling. Right. Well, Why do you hate called... fun so much, Dave? I have been called a con Nazi. Personally, I prefer the term phalangist. 
bottom line is signs are for retards. This convention is not your little attention whore stage so you can force the world to pay attention to you. It's a Japanese cartoon convention. It's for the Japanese cartoons. It's not so that you can get a girlfriend because of your Naruto headband. <laughs> and I've got no problem with people going and having fun and doing wacky fun things, but Jesus, the fucking guys with the boxes on their heads? Come on. It's become sort of like this Mardi Gras thing where everyone has to top each other with outlandish, crazy costumes and what have you. And it's, it's like, dude, this is not about you. Go up and have fun, but leave the ego at home. If you're looking for ego gratification from a bunch of strangers at a con, I'm sorry, I can't help you. So then how come, Dave, why is it that the panel of Doom and Anime Hell have so little anime content in them, if that's what the idea is? Why are we such hypocrites? Actually, I have more actual anime in Anime Hell these days. The live action versus animation, all that stuff? Yeah, I do that. I've got, um, there's a show called Rampu from the mid-80s that's an actual, just an insane show. And they're 15 minutes long, like the early Ursa Answer episodes. So I've taken one of those and I, I it's not translated or subtitled but it's got like little title cards so that you can follow it and it's really funny and it's like 15 minutes you know i'm trying to get more anime into the anime hell to be honest because if it's the crazy well here's a crazy video of a guy getting hit by a car yeah it's on youtube they've got youtube for that yep. now yeah what's the workaround now that so much of the stuff is on youtube and google video and people can see bring me the head of charlie brown whenever they want well, I don't have to show that anymore. Yeah, how which do you? Is good. What, what do you show instead to keep things that like things that aren't on YouTube, or things? That I try. Uh, you know, to be honest, I really don't pay a lot of attention to. Here's the wacky new link. Here's this crazy new link. You should really. I don't read Boing Boing every day. I don't follow a lot of the. Here's what's crazy and new on YouTube links. So something will be out on YouTube, and I just will not even know it. I just try to find crazy commercials. I'm always digging through old tapes of wacky stuff. I got my DVD recorder so I can put take things and put them on DVD and sort of rearrange them and things. Kind of hard to describe what makes something a good clip for anime hell. If it looks insane, or not even, it doesn't even have to look insane, it's all about context. And the lack thereof. Lack thereof. You can take things out <laughs> yeah. of context and they're funny. Context is for the weak. I think a lot of people get the idea that anime hell, well it's porn, right? Or it's ultra-violent stuff, right? Or it's parody videos, or it's music videos. And I'm like, no, it's crazy stuff that is funny and shouldn't be. And that's the definition. Yeah, that's pretty much, uh, since I steal everything from Dave Merrill, every panel I do is stolen from Dave. Well, what what a lot of people want is they want a formula. How do I capture the magic in a bottle? Yeah, can you send me this on a tape so that I can show it to my friend? Well, I mix this live. I have to say, well, this isn't working. Let me go to this. Like I edited together, and this is something I'll be doing at AWA, a whole bunch of educational films about beware of strangers or you're going to get molested and killed. Oh, S- and Sid I, Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I oh, nice. Instant justice in Sid so. Davis's world. <laughs> Evil is always Davis punished. Is, ignorance is punished. That's right. You live and ignorance learn, though. And disobedience is punished. Evil is just an all-pervasive force that exists uh-huh. eternally. Blood on the highway. <laughs> yes. Signal 30. That's the thing, really, about being an, an anime fan, at least in the 80s, is that you had to be willing to go out of your way to find it. And you had right. to have a network of people that knew how to hook two VCRs up and where to go rent this stuff. And a lot of them would have crazy, well, here's this crazy clip of cigarette commercials with Flintstones characters. Here's this crazy clip of Driver's Ed films, you know? Uh-huh. That's where hell came from, really. Is here's crazy clips. Here's New Zoo Review characters pretending to have sex with each other. Which I have. 
and I wish I didn't. Yeah. You've watched it, you can't unwatch it. <laughs> I think that's a good <laughs> philosophy to take. That's I've shown you this, and now you can't ever unsee it. It'll never... Forever. Never. Yeah, like right. Prince of Space, you know? God, Prince of Space. Oh, God. Not even the MST3K one. This is the straight-up Prince of Space. <laughs> yeah. I've had requests to not show that this year. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with it. <laughs> and people are going to start screaming. And then I'm going to take the tape out and just throw it into the audience. <laughs> oh. so here you go. Destroy it as you see I'm, fit. Uh, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be replaced. I can promise you this. There will be VHS tape destruction at Anime Hell. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I think it's going to be a good show. You know, it's like a two-hour hell this year. We're going oh. from totally lame anime right into Anime Hell, right into Midnight Madness. Oh, which God. starts at 12.05. So Totally Lame Anime is going to be in the main events room? In the main events room. Oh, Every good. Will will lose their minds. Yeah, Neil Nadelman in Totally Lame Anime is basically where I got my idea for anime that sucks. Which yeah. Dave also used to be on Totally Lame Anime. I think and Neil's so, better at it than I Neil do this? finds uh, things. That are yeah, just, I don't know where he yeah. gets this stuff, but it's they amazing. They send it to him. He's a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Neil, you have to translate this, you know? Oh, but he doesn't he doesn't run those. That's his limitation. Oh, yeah, that's the thing, though. Is that I'm the only one who can get away with, all right, well, here's this piece of crap released by CPM. Or <laughs> Neil can't do that, because if Neil does that, he's out of work. He, it would be a professional... Um, Suicide. I want to say that everybody should run their own con. It's a lot of fun, and it's not too hard. <laughs> no, that's Seriously, what's going on in Florida. Do here. Everybody runs their what own con. What is up with Florida? I mean, everybody says, well, I hate these guys. I'm going to start my Yeah, own. everyone just hates each other, and so but they, they act to... nice to each other to their face. That's right. And they go on LiveJournal or whatever. Or <laughs> <laughs> You know what, what I love about LiveJournal is that it's taken fan feuds that used to take months, and now they're compressed down into days. Oh, yeah. It used to just take, through APAs and things, it used to just take a year to get through some feud, and now it's like, oh, you blink and you miss it. It's over. But aren't yeah. they now that much more explosive? I, mean, I think so. They, they used to be big, small things that were passionately fought for months, and now they're gigantic things that are fought for How days. How dare you! It's everybody's got their own agenda, and everyone's got the ability to make a website, so they make a website spinning their own agenda. Uh -huh. and, like uh, AnimeHell.org. Yeah, there's a big Mr. Agenda. Kitty. Constant drama. You know, the thing about Mr. Kitty is my comic Ozone Commandos is running there, and everyone should go... And read the Ozone Commandos. Ozone Commandos, as well as Jesus Christ me. Conquers the Martians. And That's right. Ozone Commandos stars me and my friend Matt dressed up as Captain Harlock, and Lauren and Leslie dressed up as the Dirty Pair, and several other people dressed up as anime characters. Laura Block dressed up as Sasha, and uh, we go through outer space blowing things up and killing people. <laughs> and by people, he means anime convention attendees, and things, he means conventions. And in, in the Ozone Commandos Go to Hell, we're, we're just killing. Who have we killed? We destroyed an entire planet out of peak, just to fit a peak, and we're fighting. Um, at this point, where I'm drawing it, because I'm still drawing it, I've been working on it for 10 years, we're actually in hell, and we're battling our way out of hell, so we're killing a lot of demons and devils who look mm -hmm. like. I get to reference, you know, that Ronnie James Dio devil? Ah, yes. I reference that. Not the, the Jack Underwood. Chick devil, the kind who pulls There's off the some mask Jack and somebody goofed and. There are some Jack Chick Devils. Oh, good. Man, I still need to get, like, the live-action angels and that animated somebody goofed, but I think that's I got, I get total... That from, from that's Carl. all Carl territory, I think. Carl Horn, the genius. Yeah. <laughs> the he, he's truly... He's, 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 
I'm really happy Carl Horn is actually a, he's like got this tremendous position of authority. He's bringing over Golgo 13, yep. which mm-hmm. is yeah. a comic that should be available for men to read. It's like finally men have a comic. It's not aimed at teenagers, not aimed at girls. It's aimed at men. That's why we Big love Golgo 13. Chain smoking men who are ugly. <laughs> Kasa <laughs> Ito Productions and That's Kazuo right. Koike. That's right. It's all the comics that a man needs in his life. It's, it's true. It's true. Those two and a pack of smokes, you're good. <laughs> Did enjoy the interview you guys had with Patrick Masias. He's a, he's a swell guy. Yeah. He's really cool. Oh, yes. Gotta, Very interesting. We're probably going to have to get him and Tomo back on the show at some point because their new book's about to come out. Yeah. Are they going to release Patrick's book in the States? I don't. Uh, somebody's going to have to ask to do it. I mean, it's already in English. It's just yeah. somebody would have to be willing to publish it and even though Patrick is kind of skeptical it's like oh so much of it is this is Speed Racer and people like that and I'd, I'd buy it. What I like about American anime fandom and this is why I was kind of irritated about the whole otaku thing is that we took these Japanese cartoons and we sort of made them our own. We said well we've taken these cartoons and we're fans of them and this is how we do fandom here. We're not really could care less what they do in Japan as far as fandom goes. I'm uh, not interested in what the fans there do. Uh, apart from drawing crazy porn doujinshi, you know, it's. I think fandom over here is is something that we should take and and just do what we want to with. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. our conventions are better. All right, well, I guess we're gonna have to wrap this up, but it'd be great to have you on the show again at some point. It took Any me time? forever to schedule this. I'd originally asked Dave to do this back in February, and then it's it's August now. Well, I want to <laughs> say uh, September. It's out before Anime Week in Atlanta. That everyone should come to Anime Week in Atlanta, which is September. Uh, I'm looking at my calendar. 22, 23, 24 this year at the Cobb Gallery. And you go to awa-con.com. And then next May, I'm going to be here in Toronto at Anime North, where I work staff and I'm not responsible for anything but my little area, which is <laughs> awesome. It's kind of like how AWA is now, right? That's right. I'm, I'm um, retired. I, I have a strictly honorary position. Aww. So joining the ranks of Ryan Gavigan, like in a- Anime Central, it's basically honorary position. You go in and you show random lunacy and That's jet right. out. But yeah, definitely, for those of you who can make it, go to Anime Week in Atlanta. All of us are going to be there. Gerald, Clarissa, panel. she's going to be there. You know, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to be there. <laughs> and we've all got panels to do. You You're can go see schedule. the real Anime Hell, and then you can see my ripoff Saturday night. The panel Doom, and then we're going to have a podcasting panel there, which is going to be about us spewing nonsense. And I'll be on anime scrounging with uh, Tim Eldred. Yeah, so oh, okay. look forward to that. Anime Week in Atlanta was my first anime convention. It's still probably my favorite in terms of its live programming, in terms of its panels, in terms of all that stuff. I think AWA is probably the best bang for your buck. As far as conventions go, we're we're, we're bargain price too. Mm. Oh yeah, we're, we're the low cost leader in anime cons. <laughs> Pretty incredible that you guys can be the size you are and still have that fan run convention feel about it. Well, we don't take things too seriously. Oh, but anime serious business, Dave. It's very serious. Yes. These children's cartoons, we have to be very serious about these children. <laughs> we have to be very serious about this convention we're doing that we're not getting paid for about children's cartoons. That's right. Not getting paid except for the AWA millions. That's right. <laughs> to go along no. with the JCon millions. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think anybody, um, I'll send you a, a picture of the odometer of my car. 
and you'll know exactly how many millions AWA makes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is 400,000 miles, Whew. by the way. What model car is that? It's a 91 Honda. Honda Accord, so buy Honda. <laughs> buy Hondas, indeed. My last car. Well, all my cars have been Hondas, but all right. Wrap this Thanks, up. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. no problem, Dave. Probably try and have you on after AWA or something like that. Talk about how the con went. I'll write down all the dirt. Yeah, write down all the dirt, all the so-and-so said so-and-so about this, and in the green room, yeah. so-and-so pulled a clown pistol on Greg and yes. all that. Make sure we get all the embarrassing <laughs> stories that okay. we'll be a part of. Yeah. All the ones I can tell in public, anyway. <laughs> we'll Just between you and the Internet. <laughs> yeah. right. The Internet won't talk. That's one thing to remember about the Internet. The Internet's very discreet. It's for forever. If it's on the Internet, it's going to be there forever. Yep. It never goes away. Dave Merrill, ladies and gentlemen, check him out Thanks at for having me. MrKitty.org and, of course, uh, AnimeHell.org. Check out his live journal. That's right, I got a live journal. Read all about his interesting life, living in Canada, doing boring, mundane things. Like, today life. we painted the fence. Then we I went out for hot dogs. <laughs> I don't know. Man, now I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry. All right, well, too. I'll see you guys later. All right, thanks Good. very much, Dave. Take it Thank easy. You. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for Anime World Order, show number 33. Didn't quite answer quite as many emails as we'd have liked, but I still think it was interesting nonetheless. If you want to send us more emails, our email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. You can also leave us voicemail at 206-666-4296. And you can also click the Send Me an Audio link, and hopefully, if it's working now, it will email us... The MP3 is I checked out the audio inbox I had and found that some of you guys have been sending us emails through the audio, like audio comments through that, for like a week or two, and I hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, wow, it doesn't forward, even though I have it checked to say forward it. So there's that option, too. Next week, what do we got in store for you guys? We're going to get try and get back on the regular schedule and do a regular episode. I'm going to be taking a look at a show that was released here a long time ago, edited, and was just recently re-released on DVD, uncut, Street Fighter II, the animated movie. I'll be taking a look at the movie for Captain Harlock, Arcadia of My Youth. I think that Street Fighter II is more highbrow than Captain Harlock. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Very, very possible. The Clarissa just blew me out of the water there. So yeah, and I was going to do... The Metrocon search for the truth, but then we got that email saying that Gerald is the smartest, which is outlandish. I don't. It's absurd. How can people not see my utter genius? No, I am going to be reviewing a show that a lot of people have requested that we review. We just never got around to it. It's going to require me to rewatch the whole thing, though. I'm going to review Hibernate Renme. Ah, oh, so, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Real good show there, but again, I have to rewatch all of it before I can talk about it. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be doing it justice. And something tells me that even if I do rewatch all of it, I probably still will not do it justice. But <laughs> that's going to do it for us this week. People say they want longer episodes. This is the test. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, I'd like to throw something out there to everybody listening. There's a couple of shows that I've been thinking of reviewing. And these are sort of older, more obscure shows. Oh, problem is, totally different than the rest of stuff that we do. These, these are even more obscure. And right. Old. And the problem is, is that if I review these and I give these a positive review, these are going to be hard to find. These are shows that the only way you can find these things and understand them is through, like, Hong Kong bootlegs or really old fan subs. So for well, everybody out there listening, is this worthwhile to do? Or yeah, because be people want us to review Macron 1 as well. 
Mm-hmm. Where are people going to go find that? So, yeah, just just throw that out there. If you guys think it's worthwhile or not, tell us. That's an idea, Gerald. Instead of, like, bitching about, like, how hard it is to find, why don't you take your copies, capture them, and then torrent them for people? That's a lot of work, and I have to edit anime segments for this podcast. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> anyway. You see, listeners, Gerald doesn't care about you. That's right. We established this from the Otakon report. Yeah. Give... Can't give away. Must be mine. Must be. Can't just give away for nothing. It, well, I mean, even it, in the it best. It overrides best, Directive 4. Even the best, best circumstances that would take me, like, two months to get that with time and all that, so. Right, but I'm just saying, like, you could potentially make the stuff available to people so that they could get it. He just yeah, potentially. Just a, a consideration there. I guess I'm going to ask something else. I've had a couple of people hoping for more detailed, in-depth discussions on some of the shows that we've reviewed. We've had some issues of trying to balance doing a review that's accessible to people who haven't seen the show and that won't spoil the show with being able to talk about it in detail. Right. There's an analysis-level trade-off that we have to deal with. We can either talk about this show and tell people to go check it out, but some things that require... Like, the right. appeal of it is in what's under the surface. To really mm-hmm. talk about that requires that we spoil parts. Yeah. So, and for a lot of people, that's going to make them not want to watch the show. Right. It's, gonna it's like, oh, well, now I know what happens. Thanks, guys. We've so, been trying to avoid that. Yeah. So I'd like to throw out for people that if you guys have shows that we talk about that maybe you'd like us to talk about in more detail, but it would be difficult to do it without spoiling or it would take way too long, let us know what you think. If you think maybe we should return and do secondary segments on some of those shows and put them maybe at the end of the episode where people can skip them if they want to listen to the spoilers. Or maybe, since we all had to sign up for blogs anyway to post to this Anime World Order account, maybe we could each make blog posts talking in more detail about some of the shows that we review if we feel like it, and then people could just go to check out the blog entry if they feel like reading more if they don't mind spoilers or whatever. One last thing was that we try to stay very, very close to anime and manga only. I just want to know, do you guys think that a novel about anime, about the industry, is too far removed from anime to warrant reviewing? Basically, there's a novel that's been released that is about the anime industry, but we're not sure whether that's applicable enough to this podcast. Right, and it's only like $6 now on Right Stuff or something like that. Yeah, I'm actually speaking specifically about the Nonteki Memoirs. Released by ADV Manga, even though it's not manga, it's a book. Mm-hmm. And so, Right Stuff's got it for about 6 or 7 bucks. Yeah, so if you guys it's think all that about that, the history of Gynax. Yeah, if you guys think that that is just too far removed from being anime or manga, then we won't actually do a segment on it. That's going to do it for us. Just want to give another thanks out to all you guys who donated. We did hit our goal for donations. If you still want to keep donating anyway, the button's there. But we pretty much hit the mark on it. So holy guys, you, a holy whole guys lot. Awesome. you guys are amazing. Yeah, I didn't expect yeah. us to get anything, and now here uh, we've got I, yeah, you know, really. a couple hundred dollars. We are going to spend it on audio equipment to make this thing sound a little better. Once I think we need we, to photograph this audio equipment to prove that we actually did spend it. Yeah, I don't want it to be, yeah, they took the money and went and they bought PlayStations with the money. <laughs> but no. And if we reach $1,000, Daryl will review all of Happy Lesson. It's true. <laughs> 
There you go, people. There's some incentives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're currently at about $400. No. I will review all of Kyokara Mao, and Clarissa will review all of Najika. There we go. Yeah. What? That's Aww. it. Yeah, you, you have to put these things on the table. You have to go all out. All right. All right. <laughs> well, but it'll right. never happen. I'd like to see the day where people <laughs> donate $1,000 and I have to, to watch Happy Lesson. Huh. All I'd of like Happy to Lesson 2. I'd like to see that. Not, yeah, not just the first and season. You, yeah. you have to watch all of Kill Car Mao, which That's is right, 50 all, plus episodes. Yeah, no, well, then we have to spread episodes. the pain out as well. Then you have to watch Najika, Aika, all of that panty Un crap. That's only one show. You can't take it back now. It's already been. It's already well, been we're never going to meet that goal. Yeah, so. it's never going to happen. Yeah, I'd like to see that happen. Like I said, all of Happy Lesson, Daryl. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. All right, it's on. I dare there we go. you. I dare there we go. you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>